Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all of the editions, including the extra special, newer than new editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as, you know, the other thing, and we talk about it all. In this episode, we are going to discuss the one D and D or D and D one. I'm not sure what order you put those in. They're both wrong, so let's move on. Um, <laughs> Character Origins document. Uh, the byline of this goes to Jeremy Crawford with Christopher Perkins and Ray Winninger. Um, and with me tonight is my ever-delightful co-host, Sam Dillon. How are you tonight, Sam? I am well. Hello, hello. I believe it's one d and th- I think the one is first. That's more incorrect. But see, I think, so here's the thing, right? So they, they did D&D next, and they were hoping... I remember the rumors around that time. They were hoping that when they finished the playtest, they would just lop off the next part of it, oh, and I it know. would just be D and D, right? Yeah, that's then, not how the, that's not how any of that works. But the, but then but then everybody started calling it D and D fifth edition, right? So maybe maybe they put the one in front this time because they think it's it's that that'll fall off and then it'll just be D and D. Sure. Does that, does that sure. sound good? <laughs> no, that sounds like they're f- high. <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> um, yes. I mean, so, so, so really it's a code name and we get that. It is, it's yes. fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, fine. I, I think that the discourse is ultimately going to decide that it's called either fifth edition or 5.5 or six. And it's cool that marketing thinks otherwise, but also marketing has to get where the fans are. There's too many fans. But let me let me tell you what what I appreciate about this. What I appreciate about it is the idea that they are coming at this with, "Hey, it's everybody's D and D. It's the one D and D. We're just going to evolve it and iterate it a little bit, and it's still going to be the D and D that you love. And everybody's welcome to keep playing it, and we're going to listen to your feedback. And here it is, which is about a bazillion times better." than the marketing campaign that moved us from third to fourth. Oh, for sure. And even better than the campaign that moved us from second to third and then third to 3.5. So I think that's all fair. And, and so I, I can actually live with one D and D as dumb a name as it is. (laughs) Right. Right. I I can live with that. I'm okay with it. Yeah. I I know who wrote one D and D he's not in the byline for this article. (laughs) He he been dead for a couple of years now. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so here's what this document is, folks. It is the character origins portion of the playtest. And here's the issue. It deals with so basically it starts by telling us that look, you can use this right now in your game. Play test it for us. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Anything that's not mentioned in here, you're just going to go right back to your 2014 player's handbook, or you're going to go to your Xanathar's, or you're going to go to your Tasha's, whichever of those amalgamations of those options that you're using. You could still use those, just if you want to play test this, you're only replacing the items in this document with what's in the document. So races, uh, backgrounds starting languages feats and then there's a, f- a few rules changes and then some spell list issues that they didn't really they don't really get into so it's hard to like play test that they just want to yep. give us an idea of what direction they're going but here's the thing 
it's not like it's a full on 200 page. Here's a book play tested, or here's a whole game play tested. It's, it's meant to sort of say, here's some changes we're thinking about play around with them and see what's going on see whether you like it. It's not really meant to be the embodiment of what one D and D or D and D one or D and D six or whatever we're going to call it. It's not really all of it. It's not an embodiment of it. It's just, we have to start the play test somewhere. Yeah. So let's start at the beginning with character origins and here's what we're thinking about in terms of going forward. Tell us what you think. Yep. Now in a comparable step of D&D next, they would have included a smaller number of races and like one or two backgrounds and about four classes. You know which four classes. It's those four classes. Right. Uh, and in fact, the D&D next, four. Yeah, D&D next uh, was very kind of only some packets showed more than four to six classes. It was quite mm-hmm. rare to have even a a full run of classes. Right. But I think what they're going for here is a little bit different from what they were doing with D&D Next. It it is for sure. What they don't want is to trigger a, hey, where's my inter-favorite race here? For sure. Or, hey, where's my inter-favorite whatever rule? Like, they don't want that to happen. They they don't want anybody who is looking at these playtests to feel like something is being taken away. And so that's why we're getting like a huge 21. I mean, this is a huge playtest document. Yeah, it's, right? it's absolutely a huge playtest document for UA. Yeah. It um, is definitely huge. And as a result, us having ambitions of getting through it in one recording are bold. I said bold. Whatever. We're going to try it. Yes. yes <laughs> that's, gonna, that's what we're going to do. We're going to power through. <laughs> All right. We're going to see how far we get and then pass out from exhaustion. Uh, Okay. So, so uh, again, so here's what it's going to, it's going to, it sort of gives us an overview. It says, you're going to see some races here. You're going to see some backgrounds. You're going to see some information about starting languages. You're going to see some information about feats. You're going to see that throughout those sections, there are the occasional place where there's a little asterisk or star next to an item. And if there is an asterisk next to an item in this document, because I, I know maybe some of our listeners are, you know, reading along with us or or anybody who's watching this is re- can read along with us and you'll see, for example, right here, there is an asterisk, right? And so if you are at a place where you see an asterisk, that means that there's been a slight rules change or update. And that is in what they're calling the rules glossary of this document. That's right. So there's a, a- few pages of rules glossary that are necessary looks forward to uh, rules that would be in other parts of the book than character origins, but you can't even understand what this is saying without that. Right. You need the context of the rule and, to understand and what it means. And of yeah. course, there's still a ton of missing context, as you've been saying. But oh, let's, of course. Yeah. Let's yeah. plow into it and yeah. not get too bogged down in I mean, the, the very the, end of the document. Well, the, the 2014 Player's Handbook, how many pages is it? It uh, looks like uh, 320. So, okay. So, 320. So, 320 pages. And here is 20 pages, right? So, of course, not everything is here. For sure. And then it invites us to watch a video Jay Craw did a video. That's Jeremy Crawford for the uninitiated. Did a video. People who aren't hip like us. Yeah, we're so hip. Yeah, right. 
So he did a video and he was talking to uh, Kenrick. Todd Kenrick, yeah. So he was talking to Kenrick uh, about this about this playtest packet, and and apparently they're going to do one of those videos every time they release one of these playtest packets uh, in in the near future, right? Yeah, for the, for the foreseeable future. And so then they have to give us the disclaimer, by the way, this is really just playtest. It's going to change. Some of it will change to some greater or some lesser extent, and some of it might be removed and some of it might uh, remain and, you know, whatever. Um, and then it hits us with a power level disclaimer. So the character right. options that you read here might be more or less powerful than options in the 2014 player's handbook. If a design survives playtesting, we adjust its power to the desirable level before official publication. This means an option could be more or less powerful in its final form. In other words, don't make your only critique of this, whether something is overpowered or underpowered. Like that's a that's an important component of a critique, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you're doing. They're well aware that some of the power levels are not commensurate with what's going on also we don't have the context so there it is yep and that's boilerplate for all other ua documents absolutely absolutely of course so in determining your origin there are three bullet points that talk about your origin and it's interesting to see what order they come in and the third one that is marked off from the other two as a separate bullet so the first is your race and uh, there's been a lot of discourse on uh, the bird site already about sticking to the word race. Mm-hmm. And um, man, deciding that's something that has to be permanently backward compatible and you can't include a line saying our word is not race anymore. Just understand that used to be our word and it's not now. Like that's an interesting place to yeah. draw your line in the sand. But well- What's interesting about it is they're willing to change the language in certain other things that you would think are, you know, look, dear listener, if you've been listening to Edition Wars for since the beginning, you'll know that in the very beginning, our intro used to say or make reference to the sacred cows of D&D and slaughtering the sacred cows or letting the sacred cows live and we've decided that's a really horrible um you know it's a horrible term it's offensive so we stopped using it if you listen to our earlier episodes you'll see it Uh, but here's the reason i'm bringing this up race the term race is one of those it's one of those traditional elements that has been in the game since the very very beginning right and because Gygax was a proud bioessentialist. Yeah. Well, I mean, even aside from that, just uh, e- even if there's, even if there was no connotation before, and I'm not saying there wasn't. I'm just saying even if there wasn't, now it's 2022. Yep. And they even say in this playtest document, a character's race represents ancestry and confers game traits to the character. So if it represents ancestry, why not just use the word ancestry? And I have only two answers for that question. The first answer is tradition, right? That they don't want to move too far away from the tradition because they just don't. Mm-hmm. The second answer is in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, they stopped using the word race. And what term do they use? Ancestry. Sure. And I think that Wizards of the Coast wants to stay away from 
being accused of, which has already happened, by the way, oh, after sure. his playtest dropped, of doing things in this game, one D and D, that yeah. are similar to Pathfinder Two, because then oh, they're copying, right? I, I assure you. Well, I so here's the thing, and so it's not that I I, I just think that Wizards wants to stay away from having something that looks like an overt copy. So I, I agree with that. I also think that they are seeing that there are creatures you can play with a thing that goes in the race field is not an ancestry. You know, that word is functionally right. wrong too, because right. you're playing a robot. Right. Um, and so, but so then what word do you pick? You have to have a third neutral I, word. Right? I, I certainly agree that it is difficult that, you know, in English, we don't have a ton of great options there. Right. Um, when um, Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft came out, it looked like they might be choosing lineage, but no, that turned to turned out to just be about things that were essentially downstream from race and altered your race features. Right. Um, right. So here's the thing, though. Okay, but we can make up other words like <clears throat> Ardling. Okay. Well, sure. That is not so. The, I'm, all, I'm, only half, for, I'm only half serious when I say that, right? Right, right. But they, they do still have to make it comprehensible language. They can tell you what Ardling is as a specific thing, but as a as a description of a container, that's especially not a great place for a made-up word. Sure, but we have vast thesauri. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I, have, I think that we have vast going options with, here. Yeah, I think that going with kindred or kind or lineage or whatever mm. is is the place to be. I, I'm not defending the use of race. And I am personally someone who would not attack them if they'd gone for ancestry because we went for ancestry in um, Talisman. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we faced the same problem. We stared it down and said ancestry. And I, I would not... I would not be accusing them of doing anything untoward if they chose ancestry or lineage. Yeah. Or if they chose a, an other alternate option, right? right? I even wouldn't care if they just used the word type. Right? Mm, that means something different in the I, I know I know it does, but I'm just saying like in terms of for me the word doesn't it doesn't matter to me. But I am a privileged individual. Fair. Right? And so I don't care what word they use, but I guess I guess the whole point of bringing this up is that I feel like this is the opportunity that if they want to change that word, they can change that word, right? Yeah, I and, agree with that for sure. Yeah, so that that's my only thing. Like, ultimately, I'm not sure that it affects anything in my mind about this game, but I've been playing for a long time. Race is something that. When I talk about tradition, I mean, it is ingrained as a term in D&D. That doesn't mean we can't change it. I'm not anti-changing it. I'm just saying now is their opportunity. Maybe they should think about that. I I agree. I think they should be solving this with a one-sentence sidebar. Mm -hmm. And if they have to publish that one-sentence sidebar in every book between now and uh, some future design team deciding – yeah, we actually are done with that edition now. We can move on. And maybe it's 20 years from now, whatever. Then, then okay. Okay. So what? It's, it's one, one sentence. Line. You'll figure it out. You you pay your tax. And that tax is escaping 
some of the racism, a little of the racism right. of the past 50 years of gaming. Right. You know, right. good, good, good job. Yeah. So anyway, so let's move on. Um, mm. I think, I think our audience probably knows how we feel about it, uh, even without us really talking about it, but yeah, um, it was super subtle. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, so, so here's what's in, here's what is included in that race entry. You're going to have a creature type, which is why you mentioned that the word type means something else. You're going to have a size. You're going to have a speed. You're going to have a lifespan. And you're going to have some special traits. And so that's going to be something that is inherent to that particular race. And this is – see, this is why – this, mm-hmm. this this is why we're saying maybe you might want to change that word. Now is the opportunity to change it because now we're saying, okay, there's special traits that each race has. Right. But they are they are meaningfully less bioessentialist mm-hmm. in that uh, look, it has a magical nature. Right. Like Absolutely. or yeah. this is it this is literally its physiognomy. It's not mm-hmm. like something about its mind. Right, right. I don't know. Yeah. And so so in other They're words. Trying. We, yeah, they're they're trying, right? They're 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 sort of they're they're trying to figure it out as they go, and that's fine. Um, it's a playtest, so that's what it's for, right? So, so the creature type is going to give us something about the creature. The size is going to give us literally the size category that that particular individual goes in, which is interesting because what it also means is that um, several of the races in here can be medium or small. You choose when you create that character. So they're not being bioessentialist in terms of height averages, right? They're they're giving an option there. That's very interesting. Uh speed is is kind of your generic average speed that 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 racial entry will have. Lifespan, very similar thing. Everybody's it's interesting have to see that one come back. Uh, I mean it was in the it was in the 2014. It was in the 2014, but they took it out of more recent uh, race releases, very pointedly. Mm, yeah. Um, going back to um, Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So that one's that one's been missing for a while. Okay. Um, average lifespan, along with um, the the implied age that you start adventuring, has been is also gone from that. Right. Right. Um, and of course, alignment is gone. Yeah. I, I guess I I'm I. You're right. I, I wasn't thinking about like uh, things like Witchlight. I, I was more just saying, okay, well, if our base document is the 2014 Player's Handbook, and we're right. looking at that racial entry compared to the racial entries we're getting in here, it's not surprising to me that lifespan is there. But you're right. It, ha- right. it has sort of been no, – uh, there's, there's definitely a trend line, and yeah. this is sort of the first one that zagged back okay. in a sense. Yeah. Um, but like – they kept saying, "Hey, if something has an unusual lifespan, we'll tell you in the entry." And like astral elves in Spelljammer are one of the few places you see that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's fine. Right. Anyway, so then it's going to tell us that there are backgrounds, and yep. the reason I'm bringing this up now instead of just going right to the races and talking about the races since we just spent you know ten minutes on it yep. is because one of the big changes is that. The ability score bonuses that you get from your choices during character creation come now from your background, not from your race. Right. They're so there still is, they're still malleable the right. way they have been since Tasha's. Exactly. Uh, they're just 
explicitly part of your background rather than being explicitly part of your race. Right. And the background section we're going to find out is a very uh, flexible in terms of how you build it. It's kind of a build your own Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, If you choose to go that way, you could use an archetype that they give you, but you could choose to build your own. Either way, the ability score bonuses are within that group of activities as part of character creation, not attached to the race. So it does remove that sort of bioessentialist type of we're putting a mechanical weight on this race by giving it certain attribute bonuses versus you know, some other race that does not have those attribute bonuses. So they've moved that now to the backgrounds, which is a really great idea. And I think people have been asking for this or having this idea for quite a while now. So I'm glad that they heard that and went toward that. Yep. And there's a sidebar saying, Hey, if you use races from before this document, you have to understand you don't get um, ability score increase twice. Right. 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 Yeah. Just that's a change. Just, That's what we're doing. Let's move on. Yeah. And there's other things attached to your background. There's going to be some skill proficiencies, which that's also attached to your background in in the initial 2014 book. So that's not surprising. There's a tool proficiency, same thing. There's languages, which used to be attached to race. Now they're attached to background. Well, so so some backgrounds gave tools and some gave languages. Right. Usually not so much both. Right. So that's kind of interesting. Right. So there, there's a slight change here, but the origin of where that stuff comes from is all now sitting in the background. And the, there's a feat that you get from a background. Uh, and so we're going to talk about feats as we move on through here. So I'm going to leave it at that right now and not comment on it. And then yep. there's some equipment. Okay. Yep. So let's, let's talk about the races. Well, so hang on, before we do that, yep. the last bullet point is a language. Mm-hmm. You get mm-hmm. a selection of language that is fully independent of your race and your background. Now, your backgrounds right. also give you languages, but this is your choice to grab, this is your chance to grab common or to grab common sign language. Right. Which um, is an excellent. Which inclusion. is really cool. Yeah. And, and I think yeah. that we can safely assume that there are sign, sign languages for. Uh, at least most of the other standard languages, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably most of the rare languages, mm-hmm. I decline to believe there is not a signed Thieves' Cant. That's just, I, I don't buy that. I think that Thieves' Cant is is a large portion of Thieves' Cant, just in its in its natural right. form, is probably includes sign language. Right. And um, then in Forgotten Realms canon, the drow absolutely have a sign mm-hmm. language. Right. Uh, right. As part of their undercommon, right. Anyway, right. Um, so anyway, I just thought it was interesting that they marked out languages as something fully separate from race and background, since neither of those are your culture. Right. So and that that's kind of what I was going to say, though, is that culture is often connected through language and food, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, if you've got language and food, that's providing you with a large chunk of sort of how we interact with each other in a culture based on the language we're speaking, the languages we're speaking, and the food that we are serving and eating and preparing. And so it's very interesting that they made it separate, but I like that they did because what they're really saying is that you can create any kind of character that you want, actually. Mm -hmm. 
You're not beholden to a particular culture or racial ancestry. Yep. You actually, you might have some benefits from some of that, but you can also just create a character right now that's about to go adventure that isn't like anyone else. I will just say that if you enter the party with no Venn diagram languages with uh, all other members of the party, um, you're probably going to have a bad time. Right. Well, you should coordinate yeah. that at the start of play. Yeah. You definitely, everybody needs to speak uh, a similar or be able to communicate in a similar manner. Right. Um, and, you know, you're, you're getting two languages, one from your background and one from that third bullet. Mm-hmm. Or if you're a dragonborn, you also get draconic. Right. You just have a um, like magical knowledge of Draconic. Right. But we'll get to that. <laughs> so let's actually hit, let's hit races yeah. now. Okay. So folks, we're on page two. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, okay. So races. The first thing that it tells you is that uh, your first choice is either are you a member of the human race or are you a member of a fantastical race? And then it's going to give descriptions for several different races. And it's going to tell us those items, those traits, you know, that we talked about earlier uh, regarding those things. And the first thing that it says is that because the multiverse is infused with magic, humanoids of different kinds can have children together. So if you have a parent that is of, of one particular race and you have a parent that is of another particular race, you can actually be a child of that pairing. Yep. And the way that you, you know, you, you make that PC, you determine which parents racial racial traits are the ones that you receive. Right. And that's just in terms of the actual described, proscribed items like size, speed, and whatever the special traits are. But you get to choose what you actually look like, what the shape of your ears are, what color your eyes are, what color your hair is, all of that stuff. Which, by the way, players have been deciding what they looked like <laughs> with respect to that forever, right? Sure. Um, but it's nice to have it in here as, hey, by the way, you can be an elf with slightly less long ears, right? You don't have to right. have the giant long floppy ears. You can have shorter ears still pointed. Right. right? Or- and you know, one of the other effects of this, because as we know, humans will um, bone down with anything. <laughs> it is a truth multiversally uh, yes, acknowledged. It um, it, one of the results of that is that if you just really want to play the human mechanics but don't want to look like a human. Congratulations. Right. Yep. There it is. Exactly. Right. Job yep, done. Yep. Right. Um, Which is great. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I mean that could extend to any races mechanics. You can actually combine any look with any races mechanics right. if right. that's your deal. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, I, I think um, it opens the field for people to create Fantastical types of mixtures, right? Fantastical types of children, but you still are able to sort of 
figure out very easily, okay, well, what does that mean in game mechanics terms, right? Because there's a lot of people who love doing the fantastical, I look like this thing, I'm going to behave like this, I'm going to do all these things. But you also need the mechanical aspect of that. You don't want to have to rely on the DM creating a new entry in terms of the race just for that one character to play that one idea one time, right? Like that's not – they're trying to, in other words, make it easy for players and DMs alike to figure out, okay, well, how would we create that character you really want to create? Oh, it's easy. Here it is. Boom. Yep. Um, Okay. I don't don't know. There – the sidebar here for children of different humanoid kinds is uh, still leaving some mixed race folks very much with a bad taste in their mouths. Um, but in terms of what do you mean? Uh, in terms of needing to, in a sense, declare that at your core mechanical level, uh, you're one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. You're, you're, yeah. you're not, in fact, yeah. mixed at your core right. mechanical level. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah. It, that's uh, not my lane. I'm just passing on what I've read. Right. No, and you're making a good point. I guess my thing is the way that they've actually structured it makes it easy to look like whatever you want to look like. Right. But still awesome. have a very simple way of choosing a group of mechanical, you know, a, a packet of mechanics that you can just easily put onto your character sheet. Okay, so let's talk about humans. Uh, yeah, let's talk about humans. So, I mean, the mechanics for humans, uh, once there started being mechanics for humans, which started in third edition, before mm-hmm. humans were so default as to need no mechanics. Right. Um, other than can advance to any level, as we've talked about many times. So, human mechanics have developed over the years, and their development always kind of comes back to they're the most adaptable ones, which means they get a few more picks of the like free-floating game currency, right? whatever that might be, mm-hmm. whether it's skill points or skill proficiency picks or feats or all of the above. Or all, I was going to say, or all. <laughs> right. Or all of those, yes. And and so here, like it's still all of those, but they do have one additional thing, uh, which is the big shift from your variant human in um, the the player's handbook one in, or the 2014 player's handbook, I mean to say, um, the non-variant human is DOA. Right. Not represented here at all. Right. Uh, in other words, there's only one human type right. here. And like the great majority of people playing humans in uh, official rulebook D&D that I ever saw not necessarily what was really out there, but that I ever saw were playing variant humans because it's a feat, guys. Right. So I will tell you that I myself ran tables and was involved in other games, in other in other tables of D&D that did not use feats, that, that it was sure. – the it's an optional – it's an option in 5th edition, and so the DM would option to not use it, right? Sure. And so you couldn't be a variant human. Yeah. Um. But so basically what this entry tells us, this entry is more than a race type entry because it says that you gain a skilled feat or another first level feat of your choice. Feats are no longer optional. Not at the race step anyway. 
Well, and not at the background step either, because the backgrounds right. are going to give us feats too. But I think that maybe after first level, it will be optional. We'll see. Uh, maybe. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I, the jury's out on that, first of all, because we don't have that information in this. Obviously, package, so I, yeah. I don't want to, but so what I'm saying is conjecture, but I will bet based just on, I finally watched the video with J-Craw. Right? Uh-huh, yep. I hadn't, I hadn't watched it until uh, earlier today. Um, and he basically says, you know, that their feats are back. Right. Mm. So I can't imagine that since you're not specifically saying they're optional, at first level, that they are required at first level because they are part of the package that you get with a background and with a race, that suddenly you're just going to say, oh, well, they're optional from now on, especially when we know they're working on them. I don't know. I, I, I'm i not sold on the idea of them still ever being optional. They are they are a thing now in this edition, whether we call it 6th edition, 5.5, or 1. Sure. Uh, they, are, they exist, and they are there, and they are part and parcel of the game. The only reason I question that is that I feel like so much of that video, uh, Jeremy Crawford is talking about listening to uh, user feedback from people who play the game very differently than I do, uh, such as the DMs you just mentioned who don't allow feeds to begin with. Right. But I I also, right, I'm almost 50, okay? And as who is it eric paquette is it eric paquette keeps reminding us uh when they did the 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 survey that that did the found the demographics of D players yep. most recently people over 35 or over 40 are only 13 percent of the fan base or at least of the people who answered that survey sure so I'm in the minority. I and I'm I'm making no assumptions that I'm in the majority here. Sure. Um but he was often speaking to what really have to be minority user positions, right? Such as some group of fans has already been playing with let's say critical hits this way. Even though it's wrong, we decided to normalize that, which was a very strange move to me right but, but so that's i mean we're going to get to that section I, I found that part of the video very interesting but uh, because i feel like okay you're the tail's wagging the dog but um anyway yes correct uh, so i but that doesn't change the fact that he at least him and probably the rest of the design team is at least under some idea that there are a great number of people playing that way and that's why they're doing this because there are so many overwhelmingly number of people that are doing that, that they might as well make the game conform to the way people play it at the table anyway. I'm not convinced that he's talking about majorities. That's not what I got from what he was saying. See, for me, it makes sense if it was a majority. If it's not majority, it, yes, then why, I agree would it would make change, sense that- why would you change everything for the minority? Uh, exactly. I, I thought it was a nonsensical move because it sounded like he was talking about small minorities. Right. And, and folks, I mean, I, uh, this is talking only specifically about mechanics, not about. Not about minority populations, not right. about populations or races or, or justice or anything social, just, right. just mechanics. Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to, <laughs> this is why we can't get past page three. It'd be awesome if they released their survey data, but that's not happening. So yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> like, that's anyway. really valuable stuff and they aren't giving that away for free. 
so he, so here's what the human gets. The human is still kind of up on a pedestal as a very, very versatile, flexible, high impact choice yep. because they you're a creature type humanoid. You can choose small or medium size. You have a speed of 30 feet, which is the base average, whatever. You have a lifespan of 80 years on average. And then you get three traits. You get, remember, remember, races each have special traits that they give you. Here are the three special traits for the human. You get inspiration whenever you finish a long rest. And they have they have slightly tweaked the way inspiration and long rests work. We're going to read about that when we get to the glossary. Uh, they get a trait called skillful where they gain proficiency in one skill of their choice just right off the top. Having unrelated to anything else other than being a human, they get an extra skill proficiency, and then they get a trait called versatile or versatile, depending on how you want to pronounce it, which means that they get either the skilled feat, quote, skilled feat is caps because that's the name of it, or they can choose a different first level feat uh, uh, from the first level list and get that feat for free. Right. And skilled is only listed here to be a choice paralysis solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. So, I mean, the interesting thing to me here is how they're building toward their uh, multiversal story by name checking uh, Sigil in the flavor text. Right. Uh, I thought yeah. that was kind of cool. Yeah, they do a lot of uh, name checking in this document. Actually, they really do. Um, and again, so I, I, I'm not saying that as a. a like I'm not being snarky. I, it is really part of the thing that I like about this launch of this playtest material because they're basically saying we're not getting rid of stuff that you love, which were really the things that are in the multiverse and in the games that you've been playing. They're going to stay. Mm-hmm. And so to show you that, we're just going to name check the hell out of them every page. Yep. Um, well, and also, you know, in the same, you know, uh, Wizards presents. They announce this document. They also mm-hmm. announce Planescape. Right. Yes. Of course. Uh, and you know, Spelljammer just came out, so right. It, right. it is multiverse ho. Right. But that. But okay. So, but to my point though, they are also not only speaking about Sigil. They're mm-hmm. talking about the Forgotten Realms. They yep, mention Eberron at some point. They mention you know uh, some the, some of the different planes of that. It leads to uh, they, they, you know mentioned Crin, yeah. uh, since right. they we also now Crin. know when yep. Dragonlance is coming Dragonlance. out. Yep, exactly. So yeah, so they're just trying to be included. In other words, they're not saying, "Hey, look, we're doing a new edition. We're forgetting about everything we've done before." They're saying, right. "Well, we're still keeping all that stuff, and we're and we're advancing the mechanics in a way that makes sense for the way people play." Yep. Yep. Uh, so then we get to the next race, unless you're unless you have anything. Else no, to say I'm good. About uh, we, we get to. The most divisive uh, <laughs> race of this of this packet mm. by a lot. It's the new one. Yes, um, and and they are including a new one among other reasons uh, to be a an upper plains counterpart to the tiefling that mm. isn't the Asimar, uh, the Asimar of um, uh, Monsters of the Multiverse uh, still stands. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. it's right. the backward compatibility yeah. is engaged there mm-hmm. um but uh also to have the right number of races in this book since half elves are gone right uh and right. orcs are stepping in for half orcs correct yep mm-hmm. i mean but you know theoretically 
So yes, uh, yeah. Well, let's move on because we talked about the mixing of parentage. Okay, right. So Ardlings, they are supernal, which is what he Brandis is saying about. Yeah. I, I'm only talking about having the same number of total race right, entries. Right. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, so uh, you can be an Ardling, and and Ardlings have animal heads, right? So so your animal that you choose is based on which celestial legacy you choose mm -hmm. and the celestial legacy that you choose leads you to a choice which happens to fall on the next page of the playtest document that says if you choose the exalted celestial legacy your suggested animal so this is a suggestion in other words you could actually pick a different animal you could really pick any animal. They're just giving you a suggested list of animals based on probably whatever mythos and, and history that they're looking at when they when they made these decisions, right? But you can really pick anything as long as your DM says it's okay because this says suggested animals, not required or choose one or options, right? Sure. It says suggested. So sure. exalted is cat, eagle, goat, or mule. Heavenly is elephant, owl, pig, or stork. And idyllic is bear, dog, raven, or toad. Then you also get a spell related to your celestial legacy at first level, third level, and fifth level. And the table tells you uh, which spells you would then get. Because uh, Ardlings, that's the race member, they get, um, they'll get those spells as they hit that level. That's one of the, one of the traits of that race, correct? Uh Right. It has to do with the legacy, right? The the celestial legacy basically says that you get magical abilities, right? right. And, if you're exalted, and, you're chaotic good. If you're heavenly, you're lawful good. If you're idyllic, you're neutral good. And so you get a cantrip at first level, you get your animal, and then you uh you at third level you get a spell, and at fifth level you get a spell. I, I do want to emphasize that that is the plane you came from has alignment has nothing to do with your character mm -hmm. alignment. Just like a right. tiefling yeah. does not have to be correct a, a, any flavor right. of evil. Right, right, right. Uh, right. This has no bearing on you. Yes, um, yes. And yes. Uh, it's worth pointing out that the animal-headed uh, celestial beings have been a thing in D and D for a long time. A long time, yes. With, with gardenals and archons. Right, right. They just haven't been a playable race. Right. Yeah. yeah. In, in in any in any format that was that was usable directly. Um, okay, so so let's actually so so in other words, you choose to be an Ardling, you choose your celestial legacy, and you're uh -huh. right. It doesn't mean that it's it's not a it's not an alignment stricture. It's not telling you if you choose this, you have to be this alignment. There's no place in this playtest document that tells you that at all for any of these races. Okay. Correct. But it's just telling you what your what your legacy is, what your what your initial, very initial origins, where they where they are, right? Uh, worth saying the word alignment does not appear in this document. Exactly, right. Uh, it, it talks about moral and ethical outlook. Mm -hmm, right. And so so you choose one of those, right? And then it tells you your traits. You're humanoid. You can be medium or small. Again, that's your choice. You get 30 feet speed and you live 200 years on average. And then you get something that is a first for any base class in a in a player's handbook, and that is you get the ability to fly. Now, it's a limited ability, and it only allows you to fly up to 30 feet, and it's a single bonus action, 
So if you're still in the air <laughs> when your bonus action ends, you fall. It's not sustained flight. It's not right. hovering. It's just if you can fly a distance and land somewhere within 30 feet, you can do that uh, as a bonus action. Within within your speed, if your speed increases, right. you're set. Oh, that's true. Yes. So it starts at 30. So that's why I was saying 30. Yep. Mm-hmm. But yes, if your speed increases for whatever reason, then it's within that. And then this is a limited use along with the limited distance and and all of that. It's also you get to use it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. And then, of course, that comes back. Uh, all your uses come back at the end of a long rest. Yep. So when you're first level, you're going to get to do that twice a day, basically, yep. which is I mean, that's, you know, whatever. It's pretty good. Um, and then it talks about the different legacies and uh, the legacies uh, also, by the way, um, give you damage resistance. So, or that, or I shouldn't say the legacies give you that. It's kind of a separate trait that you get yep. as an Ardling is you get damage resistance to radiant damage. Yep. Um, the celestial legacy gives you your cantrip at first, your third level spell, your fifth level spell. And then there's this other little tidbit down here that's actually really important. And that is, that intelligence, wisdom, or charisma is your spellcasting ability for the spells that you cast, and you choose which of those you want it to be. Yep, and that that also is sort of boilerplate at this point for any spell that comes from not a class, right? Right, but not but that's because of Tasha's. And remember, I what my thing was my baseline is the. 2014 players handbook sure right sure. so so this is a yes it's boilerplate now it's it's yep. sort of just codifying now the evolution of how things have been going right yep. and and they they were pretty open about saying that you know once they kind of announced that okay 2024 is we're gonna sort of we're gonna sort of release an evolution of the game once that was kind of in the ether they were pretty open about telling us, okay, well, you know, here's some changes that are happening. We're just going to start making these changes now because it's what the players want. Yep. And that's what a lot of Tasha's has in it, actually. So a lot of a lot of this already was codified in Tasha's. It's just that now it's going to be codified in what will be the player's handbook for that edition. Right. Yeah. I have no argument with that. Um, so the spells that you get lean pretty heavily on the divine list. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the one right. notable exception is Animal Messenger at fifth level for idyllic ardlings. Is um, that a primal spell in this? It is. is it not? Yep. Okay, yeah. yeah. And, you know, since we haven't actually explained what divine and primal and arcane mean, you probably already know what they mean, folks. It's not yeah. a mystery. You <laughs> right, work it out. Right. The, the mystery is that in, in this playtest packet, they have decided that that's how the spells are going to be separated. Is that it's either an arcane spell or it's a divine spell or it's a primal spell. Yep. And if they were really committed to avoiding sounding like they stole things from Pathfinder, they have failed. <laughs> that 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 well, is a categorical I was, failure. I was looking at the occult. I was looking for the occult list, but there wasn't one. So right. they did. They only failed fifty percent. <laughs> We'll see. Anyway, uh, folks, uh, if you don't play Pathfinder 2, Pathfinder 2 has four s- types of spells, arcane, divine, primal, and then occult. So anyway. Yep. Um, okay, so Dragonborn. So Dragonborn. Um, it's really interesting to see a new Dragonborn set of rules that isn't matching what we saw in Fizzbuns. 
um, because they just re-released Dragonborn. Mm-hmm. Like that just happened. Right. But this is different from both the Player's Handbook 2014 Dragonborn and from the Fizzbond's Dragonborn. It is much more like the 2014 Player's Handbook. Right. Um, the Fizzbond's Dragonborn is a little more uh, mechanically involved. Mm-hmm. And you have to understand things about um, the attack action and separate attacks within the attack action uh, to use your breath weapon properly. Right. So this is not part of that. Um, Which this, I think is a good move. Uh, I don't know. It's complicated. Well, I think uh, so. It's not that I dislike the Fizzbands Dragonborn. I actually like them quite a bit. But I think if they're going for a similar complexity for each racial entry. Right. That's then, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, they, they do want a simple one. And then I guess if you don't need uh, entry level anymore, you can go to Fizzbuns right. and uh, change up your traits. Sure. Um, the, the couple of notable things here compared to uh, the 2014 Dragonborn then are that the uh, damage scaling on the breath weapon is uh, significantly different. Um, you don't get so, additional dice ever, uh, but it scales mm, by your character level. Um, right. if also, yeah. it's only ever in a cone. It's only ever in a cone. Um, and they're all deck saves to avoid. Right. Yep. Um, the damage types are all the same. Um, the other big change here. That is, is well. Hold on. The oh, damage sorry, types are are the damage types are based on the color of dragon for the yes. Sorry, that's so, what I meant. Not not as in they're all the same. Everybody has fire breath. Right. That's, just, sorry. Just that's, to be that's clear. What I meant. Yeah. 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 I I knew, um, but just for the audience. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other big change is that uh, these dragonborn have dark vision. Mm-hmm. That's right. like, yep, because yep. dragons have dark vision. Right. But right. Dragonborn have been without Dark Vision since forever. Right. <laughs> since there have been Dragonborn. Yeah. For I don't know, reasons. Right. Um and so this is shifting that. So that's interesting. Uh, and as I mentioned before, uh they learn draconic innately, uh mm-hmm. rather than uh learning it sort of with I don't know, uh, an online learning course like the rest of us. <laughs> What is that? The Rosetta Stone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> R- Rosetta Stone or you know, Mondly or uh, yeah, Duolingo. Yeah. Duolingo, that's what Duolingo it is. for Draconic, yes. <laughs> Look, if you wanna if you wanna know about Draconic, um, you know, contact Erin Evans. She is on Twitter and she wrote the uh the the, the Brimstone Angels series of books for Forgotten Realms for Fair she enough. Because they're they're the, the the main characters there are the two tiefling sisters. Huh? Yep. And their adopted father is Dragonborn, and he so she developed a lot of Dragonborn language. Nice for Forgotten Realms. Uh, as part of that, just that writing those books. So anyway, so yes. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> um. So Dragonborn are still fairly light touch in their changes. Um. I I like the change in the scaling on the breath weapon mm-hmm. um you still after about uh fourth level you need to be thinking pretty carefully about whether it's the right time to use your breath weapon or not because if you like if you're if you're not hitting multiple people then you could probably 
do more damage with some other action. Mm-hmm. Right. Or do something more useful with some other action. And so that might be unfortunate. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's fine. Um, I don't know. Yeah, because it's only going to be 1d10 plus your, plus your level damage. Right. And so, so for- plus your level isn't bad. D10 plus five is not bad. Right. But, um, but when you it, roll a two and well, sure. you, you know, and it's an action to use your breath weapon. It's not a bonus action. Right. So That's the point at which your fighters picked up extra attack. Right. So maybe there are a few times where it would be appropriate, but it's, yeah, I think it's going to take some thought. So, but that's okay. I mean, like that's, that's fine with me. Yeah. Um, so next up is dwarves. Um, and dwarves are not going to be changing a lot. That's not how this works around here. Um, <laughs> except that the uh, trait of the dwarf sub race that they used to get an extra hit point uh, has now moved into the, the core of the race because there are no sub races. Right. There's uh, no there's no hill dwarf, mountain it, dwarf, right. Whatever. Uh, because sub race isn't a word anymore. Right. Right. They, right. They're just completely excising that word. Mm-hmm. Um, and Monsters of the Multiverse showed us what excising that word looked like when we saw uh, Durgar and Sea Elves and so on. Right. Those aren't sub races of uh, elves or dwarves or whatever. They're just their own thing. They're just their own thing. Right. Uh, are they related? Yes, sure. Just sub race isn't a word. Right. Which is a good move. I mean, I'm right. not, I, I no, think it that's, is. that's the right way to go. Uh, yeah. And here they've had the same concept supported by the word lineage or legacy. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And that's fine. That's, that's great. Um, so you also have uh, forge wise, uh, where they gain tool proficiency with two metal or stone related tools. Great, fine. Uh, that sounds right. Uh, what tool proficiency means is going to come up in the the glossary of rules. Right. And then the big one that is a big change, and they're very proud of it in the video. Stone- <laughs> well, am I wrong? No. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm. Yeah. I'm just ribbing them a little bit, uh, is stone cunning, um, which is a bonus action that grants tremor sense for 10 minutes. Um, tremor sense doesn't let you see the thing that is uh, walking within 60 feet of you on the ground, but um, unless you know there's a thing there, you still can't target it with spells, but um, you can do something about it. Yeah, right. and, you can and, tell your party to be on guard. Right, and when you trigger this, it lasts for 10 minutes, even though it's a bonus action to trigger. So if you are indeed underground or in a large stone structure, yep. you can kind of have a little radar for where things are moving, yep. which is cool. That's cool. And, and that, of course, is precious bonus uses per long rest, right. like everything. Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. I kind of miss the old stone cunning because – uh, I like specific knowledge skills where mm-hmm. people get to unexpectedly shine with, hey, I know something about that in a an exploration situation. Uh, but there, I, I think that the stone cutting feature we have here is useful uh, probably roughly as often until DMs learn to you know, pitch into it. 
mm-hmm. and and make it feel useful with you know more invisible stuff that uh drummer sense can can find uh st- the old stone cunning or i should shouldn't say old the stone cunning as written in the 2014 player's handbook says whenever you make an intelligence history check related to the origin of stonework you are considered proficient in the history skill and you add double your proficiency bonus to the check instead of your normal proficiency bonus in other words you know how how something about the quality of that structure you know how uh efficient it is how sturdy it is you know whether there's a whether it's flat whether it's square whether it's graded you, you know those sorts of things there, it's a very uh sort of almost old school idea of dwarves being underground being able to detect all of these things about the rock around them yeah uh and it's really wonderful role-playing fodder along with the the actual intelligence history check bonus that you get but the the real benefit is the role playing that you get from it and uh in this case now with the new playtest you sort of lose that but you get a mechanical benefit in its place yeah um and dwarves have had something that was sort of about knowing stone and sensing subtle things in stone going way back in mm-hmm. D way back yeah it's from the beginning yeah. Yep. And uh, and that's and that's sort of one of those So here's why here's why I laughed when you said they were so proud of themselves in the video because they provided that kind of idea but in a mechanical format. And the funny the th- funny thing about it is they're so proud that this is the dwarfiest dwarf ever. That's their terms, yep. you know. Uh, not mine. And I was thinking to myself, well, <laughs> that's fine to give them this to make them more dwarfy. But I like the old stone cutting too because yeah. it's some. I mean, I'm you know an old school dungeon delver type player, so I For sure I love that part. So why not both, right? But I understand why not why actually indeed. from the play test perspective. But you know, yeah. Um, so you know that that's fine. They're, these are this is a perfectly good entry here. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Next we get elves. Um, and here we have elven lineages for drow, high elves, and wood elves. Um, so drow are an interesting special case. So we've been talking a lot about the um, the 2014 Player's Handbook. So wait, can I go back real quick just to Please. point out? Remember how we said that they're sort of they're uh, they're ca- they're they're name dropping a lot of places in the Dragonborn oh, yeah. listing. They they name drop uh, Arganesson, which is yep. in Eberron, right? Yep. And in the dwarf. Uh, entry they name drop Greyhawk and Dragonlance. Yeah, nice. So yeah, and and also Forgotten Realms, right? Yep. So, anyway, uh, b- because they're talking about the old uh, hill dwarf mountain dwarf split, mm-hmm. right. which is not a thing mechanically anymore. Right. Um, to me, it never had enough story stuff going on um, to justify separate mechanics. Mm-hmm. Like, I get that they're separate. Um, they're separate people in, uh, in, in Ancelon and in um, Faerun, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that doesn't rise to the level of they're mechanically distinct in a way that is reflected in the narrative to right. me and never was. I was never quite satisfied with that. And so I'm perfectly fine seeing them with a single stat block. Yeah. Nothing is lost to yeah. me. 
Yeah. I just wanted to point out that they're name dropping. Right. And that's good. And, and they're giving, they're providing some reasoning for their, for their choices. Right. So it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, so, so elves with the drow, I mean, uh, if you don't know that the presentation of drow is troubled in D and (laughs) D over many years, I, I'm not the person to explain it to you. Right. It's troubled. All right. And they have been trying to address it, including uh, within about the past year, issuing an errata for the player's handbook. Um, and it was about the largest scale single release errata that the book had received in eight years. Right. Right. Um, and they rewrote a bunch of stuff, including mechanics. And I think those mechanics are essentially all still reflected here. Uh, the core of which is getting rid of uh, sunlight sensitivity. Right. Um, so they, they have superior dark vision up to 120 feet and no, you know, d- disadvantage to match with that. Um, that's not a concern here. Right. Um, and elves, very much like the Ardlings, elves, the Ardlings choose a celestial, you know, lineage. Yep. Elves choose an elven lineage. Right. And at first level, they get uh, a thing often including, well, it, in each case, including a cantrip and then also a not explicitly magical benefit. Right. right? So what elves get an extra five foot of speed? This is not a surprise. You've seen this before. <laughs> right. Um, and high elves can change out their cantrip uh, to make it something that they actually want. Uh, if they don't need a house cleaning cantrip, um, don't get me wrong. I'd love a house cleaning cantrip in my real life. Well, and and so just to also say this, uh, so they can change it every time they wake up in the morning. They can yep. choose a different cantrip. That's the yep. mechanic there. Uh, except, of course, they don't wake up because they use trance. Well, yeah, but I, I just mean, okay, so after a long rest, you are <laughs> no, correct. No, I'm, I'm do, teasing they you. Just, teasing. They, still, they still do trance. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, yes, you are correct. So uh, let's see. Is there anything else? Oh, they get the third and fifth level can- um, spell, just very yep. similar to the Ardling. Yep. And the, the uh, third and, and fifth level drow spell are exactly what we have expected since 2014, right. I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then detect magic at third and misty step at fifth for high elves, um, is is nice. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a, a sort of specifically fey nod, right? Um, yeah, because misty step is so often associated with fey stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just very sort of magic for magic's sake right. with detect, detect magic. I, I quite like that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, long strider for wood elves. <laughs> You have bonus speed. Would you like more? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go great with bonus speed is some bonus speed, yes. um, or at least being able to share it with your allies. And then um, pass without trace, which in the 2014 player's handbook is one of the best spells in the game. Right. Pass without trace is just crazy good. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see if it changes meaningfully once we have a spells document. Um, but we can probably count on it to at least be quite good. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm assuming it's going to still be very good. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, it's a great encounter avoiding spell, and yep. ultimately those should those have to be pretty good to work at all mm-hmm. because right. yeah. any failure and you didn't get any of what you wanted. Right. So right. there's a lot to that. Yeah. 
Um, this is this is not a critique of the spell. Right, right, right. No, no, of course. Um, but they're so they're very again similar to the Ardlings, and so the reason I keep saying that is because I'm trying to illustrate that they're choosing to do things in a very organized manner that that makes things similar to uh, to the way it's done across all classes right yeah. so uh -huh. the so the intelligence wisdom or charisma is your spell casting ability if you're an elf and for for casting those spells even if you're not a spell casting class because you don't know what your class is yet you haven't chosen it maybe but you get these spells and so you're you're you choose intelligence wisdom or charisma just like the ardling did right? yeah um, you also have proficiency in perception if you're an elf, regardless of your lineage. All, all the elf lineages get that. You also have advantage on saving throws uh, to avoid or end charmed, the char any charmed condition. Okay, uh, right. And then, of course, you trance instead of sleeping. And, right. um, yeah. and, and I want to oh, – and, and, you, and you are not susceptible to sleep spells. And I want to actually dig into why it's so important, especially in the case of elves, that – uh, your spellcasting ability for these spells can be whatever you want it to be. Um, especially with the high elves, it's easy to switch into an attack cantrip where your spellcasting stat matters. Right. But in the 2014 player's handbook, the high elf is stuck with intelligence for their casting stat and a wizard's cantrip. So if they have a high intelligence, they might already be a wizard. It's so hard to get good mileage out of that high elf subrace feature and i really appreciate how they've tried to make sure that it will be useful for a very wide range of builds in in this version i think that's really good learning from the past right um, i'm not surprised by it because i mean it, it's a it's a problem that rapidly became apparent to a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, i'm just pleased to see it right you know right if it yeah. if it had been done differently it would have been wrong Right. Um, so, uh, rounding this out, um, there's Fey ancestry, um, mm -hmm. the immunity to yeah. sleep and uh, magical sleep mm -hmm. is shoved down into trance, yep. so that Fey ancestry can do the same thing everywhere you see Fey ancestry. Right. Other than in monster stat box, where it can be different, but for PCs, <laughs> for PCs. Fey ancestry always means the same thing, yes. uh, which is advantage on saving throws to avoid or end the charm condition mm -hmm. on yourself. Right. Uh, and it's then, very similar to how keen senses always means the same thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Yes. So keen senses is proficiency and perception. Perfectly lovely. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's a skill that is going to be good for every character. Right. Every character wants perception. Um, what do your elf eyes see? Um, and then um, trance is uh, essentially unchanged. Um you can long rest in half the time and you're conscious while you do it. That's great. Yep. Give me a party of all elves now and we'll <laughs> adventure four hours more each day, I guess. Or something. <laughs> or have another four hours of leisure time each day. That sounds like yeah. elves to me. That's not usually the problem. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, but, it, yeah. Go ahead. But yeah, that, that feature is perfectly fine. Um, with a lot of, I want to see the Shatter Kai get to also grab a uh, wildcard skill in their trance in Monsters, much of the Multiverse, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm not looking at it right now, so don't quote me on that. 
Um, anyway. Um, oh, well, now you're going to force me to pull it out. I guess I am. Um, I actually have the book right next to me, too. Man, I am a. That's all right. I got it. Dark Vision, Fate Ancestry, Keen Senses, Necrotic Resistance, mm-hmm. Trance. Whenever you finish this trance, you can gain two proficiencies that you don't have. Either one with a weapon or a tool of your choice selected from the PHB. You mystically acquire these proficiencies by drawing them from shared elven memory. So it was pretty close. Until you finish your next long rest. Yeah, they also have the blessing of the Raven Queen. And I'll say it's actually quite surprising that uh, these none of these elves tap into that uh, shared memory. I wonder if we will see something i'm assuming that the reason that shadar kai get to tap into the shared memory is because of their raven queen connection uh, remember uh, in fifth edition she right that's definitely an available explanation yeah. i don't remember if that's fully made explicit um possibly because they're half dead <laughs> i don't know uh yeah i mean i can come up with any that's fine explanations i don't i don't know that it's explicit either they do have a trait called blessing of the raven queen which gives them a bonus action to magically teleport i mean i think there's a really interesting idea where the shatter kai specifically only are the you know bearers of the collective memory of the elves that's kind of cool too yeah yeah, sure. Um, anyway, we yeah, can move on. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love Shatter Kai. Yeah, it's um, just an interesting like thing where that is a playable race in Monsters of the Multiverse, I'm but just, that's not presented here. So right, you know, it's uh, I'm just really glad they're not like weird Hellraiser cultists anymore. I don't need <laughs> them to all just be pinhead. That's right. Yeah, right, right. pass. Yeah. Um, this is a full range commentary show, oh. not uh, not just a 2014 <laughs> show because that's me. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get one glass of right. um, Irish cream in me, and I'm gonna yeah just say what's on my mind. Oh, you know, it's okay. Yeah. So that so they name drop again when they're talking about the elves of many worlds. They they talk about uh, Drizzt and Jarlaxle, Bane Ray, and then they talk about uh, Eberron. Uh, they talk about Zindric in in Eberron. They talk about uh, Sylvanestri and Qualanestri of Kryn. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're just, they're, they are like packing in. Oh yeah. You know, they also but, talk about Greyhawk. Yeah. It's, it's like, here you but, go. We're going to name as many possible regions of as many possible settings as possible right, right here in three paragraphs. But the, what they're doing is also saying, Hey, you know, the sun and the moon elves of uh, forgotten realms that have been separate sub races before mm-hmm. they're not now let's move on. And right. We're not going to do separate wild elves for the Grugach mm-hmm. of right. Earth. We're not. Let's move on. Right. They're, they're wood elves. That's final, which is fine. But they all, uh, they kind of nod to it, though, because they say those high elves refer to themselves by other names. Yep. But yeah, it's just a high elf. Right. It, it, it's still it's still something separate right. narratively, just right. not mechanically. Right. And that's right. fine. Right. Uh, I, I do think it's funny they use that uh, Drist and Jarlaxle still get tagged as noteworthy exceptions, but now they're not right. noteworthy exceptions from being evil. They're just noteworthy exceptions for not living underground. Yeah. Right. I find that really funny mm-hmm. right. because it feels like they're so attached to those two words, noteworthy exceptions. <laughs> it's fine. They didn't do yeah. anything wrong. No. I'm I'm just kind of teasing them about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually noticed that upon my read through as well, that they're noteworthy exceptions, but then they, then they continue on to, uh, 
say, you know, some whole societies of drow avoid being underground. So yeah. are they really that noteworthy of an exception if whole other societies well, of drought? Unforgotten Rome's they are. Yeah. But, but I'm yeah. just yeah, I know, but I, I'm just saying like the way it's the way it's worked, yeah. it's just pretty funny. So yeah. anyway. Uh so next up is gnomes. Gnomes. Um boy is this a light touch change. Um mm-hmm. so so yeah. there's there's two changes here that I can really spot. Uh one is that gnomish cunning is no longer only against spells. It's now all intelligence, wisdom, and charisma saves, which is nice because mm-hmm. they were otherwise um, falling into a weird sort of crevice in the uh, change in monster statting from yeah. Monsters of the Multiverse. Yeah. Right. Uh, and second, uh, forest gnome, um, the, the, the gnomish lineages are more explicitly magical and less. I can do a weird thing, yeah. right? Yeah, so yeah. Yeah. it's now they speak with animals spell rather than they can just talk to, you know, burrowing woodland animals right? all the time. They can do it a certain <laughs> number of times per day. Right. Um, they, I don't know, have uh, limited texting minutes. It's such a shame. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's really hard to get the burrowing badger to, you know, text back anyway. You just need unlimited minutes, my guy. I mean, look, how, I, I don't know how what to much tell you, but woodchucks wood are cheap. They don't want to buy the unlimited texting plan. Uh, how much density is there on this calling service? I mean, anyway, have you seen the burrowing animals? There's a lot of them. I I, I guess it's all naked mole rats from here on out. <laughs> just always talking. Just yak, yak, yak. Little, little yeah. Naked mole rats. I mean, all right. <laughs> Um, so anyway. <laughs> then, then and you have your rock gnomes. Folks, uh, who, it's late. It's late at night. <laughs> accurate. Um, so, so rock gnomes learn mending and prestidigitation. Um, and prestidigitation, they can kind of turn into a ritual cast for a different effect, mm-hmm. which is right. a really interesting idea, but not something we've seen anywhere else. Right. But um, it's to create a clockwork device. Yeah. Um, which is a and, very much like artificer type, right. you know. And, you know, it's, it's like they're, they're kind of affirming, yeah, tinkering is just magic. Right. Here's how the gnomes do it with a, a very specific kind of magic that is contained in this toy. And to mm-hmm. do that, they have to cast it 60 times or whatever. Right. Um, and that winds up being kind of cool. Um because it does actually broaden out the device to all the things you can do with press digitation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it also costs 10 gold pieces of raw materials, but you get that refunded if you clean up your toys at the end of the day. It's like a bottle deposit. If you forget to clean up your toys at the end of the day, then you get nothing. Right. Recycle, folks. It's important. Yeah, yep, that's right. Um, oh, don't don't forget the forest gnome gets minor illusion as well. Uh, yeah, along yeah, with speak okay. with animals. Just for the audience's sake, you didn't happen to mention it. Yeah. Um, um, and and recognize that the the magic that they cast as part of their lineage, if they are not a spellcasting class, again gets to choose intelligence, wisdom, or charisma as their spellcasting yeah. ability. So, um, the the name checking is actually a little bit lighter in gnomes of many worlds because they're gnomes. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the Tinker Gnomes of Mount Nevermind uh, yeah. do get a nod, right? Yep. 
Um, so halflings, halflings. Uh, I'm, I'm very put out about that lifespan. I'm, I'm so unreasonable <laughs> about that lifespan. Why? Because it being Bilbo's 111st birthday was significant. <laughs> now it's like, oh yeah, he turned like 50 or whatever. <laughs> Go off, I guess. Yeah. Um, and also, but I, I will remind you that they haven't been hobbits since 1974. They are just halflings. So, you know. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. They, they are uh-huh. ruthlessly uh-huh. still stealing from uh, Tolkien for anytime they need new feature. Okay. Uh, yeah. Another one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's all I got. Sorry. <laughs> um, but Brave is unchanged. Uh, it's still about advantage against the, mm-hmm. the frightened condition. Uh, halfling nimbleness is unchanged. Uh, luck is unchanged. Um, naturally stealthy. Naturally stealthy is proficiency and stealth. We're good. Like halfling traits are fine. They don't mm-hmm. really got to go anywhere. We're good. Um, uh, you know, note the absence of uh, dark vision. It's one of the oh, only right. three races in the mm-hmm. book that doesn't right. have dark vision, yeah. along with ardlings and humans. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. I think it's overdone. I think it stops being interesting when so many people have it, but that's right. me. I have lost that fight. I will continue to lose that fight. That's my life. All right. So, so it works. Works. Um, so, so the, the, the orc stats have uh, actually gone through a bunch of changes in the course of fifth edition. Um, they were first released in, um, Bolo's Guide to Monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were not great. Uh, and they got revised in Eberron. Um, and they were really, really good. <laughs> and, and so it was using those Eberron mechanics that um, I played an orc in Tomb of Annihilation. Uh, and they got revised again in uh, Monsters of the Multiverse. And then that Monsters of the Multiverse uh, set of mechanics is identical here. here. Yeah. 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 Um, and so they have Adrenaline Rush, um, which lets them uh, use a bonus action to dash and gain a splash of temporary hit points. Mm-hmm. It's a small splash. Right. It's, it, it, you know. It's tiny, but great at very low levels. Well, it's, I mean, it's two temporary hit points right. at low levels. Yeah. Twice a day. That's even then. It's only okay. I'm just um, saying. Yeah, that um, that two hit points could keep you alive. Yeah, uh, it's just kind of interesting that it is. It, it scaling is just the square of your efficiency bonus right. over the course of a day. Um, if you were to use all of it, uh, because it is efficiency bonus uses per long rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dark vision, sixty feet, uh, and then powerful build. Um, because bro, you lift. <laughs> um, and you're you, stacked. You, if you're yep. an orc, you're stacked. Well, you just get them, get them long muscles, and <laughs> I mean, it's great in Tomb of Annihilation. It's so useful. <laughs> yep, and carry all the party's crap. It's awesome. Yep, got a large size creature, um, and then relentless endurance uh, is the thing that used to be on the half orc, and for no obvious reason wasn't on the orc of uh, 
when you would fall to zero hit points, you have one instead, uh, once per long rest. Um, that came up for me a lot less than you would think in the course of uh, Doom of Annihilation. <laughs> uh, I only, they only fell unconscious like twice in the campaign. Uh, and yeah, a lot of con, I mean, guys. A lot of con. <laughs> right. It's fun. Um, but anyway, these stats are fine. I have no objection to these. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any objections uh, to the orc as written in the playtest document. It's something we've seen before, so there were no surprises there. Um, and I like the name checking of the Eberron orcs because mm. um, Eberron orcs are so cool. Yeah, the the Gate Warden orcs are just cool dudes. Right. Yep. Um, I mean, that was one of the first settings that seemed like it really cared about yep you can play an orc here it's awesome mm -hmm. and they can be respected uh, right and, and they <laughs> yeah. will fit into society and right. people will know yep those dudes are heroes it's awesome anyway yep yeah um, yeah and then moving on yeah moving yeah. on to the yep. yeah, moving to the last of our races uh lightning round is uh tieflings um <laughs> so uh the the course of tieflings over the editions has been kind of wild because they got launched in Planescape mm -hmm. uh, with uh, you know, the, the art of Dieterlisi and a uh, table that gave them these random weird features that, that had some mechanical impacts, not always beneficial uh, based on, you know, you're sort of this melange of fiendish things. Right. Um, and Planescape was, of course, also very interested in all of those different lower planes as places that cool stuff happened. Um, and then um, in Third Ed, they were a plus one ECL race and no one played them. They were terrible. <laughs> Sorry. Like, plus ECL races were terrible. Oh, yeah, I, I did have I, a, I had a player play one, don't get me wrong. And I, I think he was mostly dissatisfied with the results because <laughs> he, he always felt like he was behind the curve. Right. And he was just always so fragile uh, while trying to play a monk. A sort of bad time. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> um, and then yeah. in uh, fourth edition, they are, um, they have a really specific story mm -hmm. tying them to Bail Turoth and right. to specifically Hell and mm -hmm. the, the Court of Nessus and all of this stuff. And it's a cool story. I love that story. But it very much cuts out your uh, neutral evil and chaotic evil lower planes as having anything in the world to do with tieflings. Right. And then in the course of fifth edition, there's there's been some back and forth on that. Um, notably in one of the uh, Eberron releases that wasn't um, uh, the the hardback book. Uh, but one of the ones that uh, Keith Baker worked on, I don't think it was Wayfarer's Guide. I think it was the other one. They had a tiefling type for uh, many of the moons of Eberron. And that mm. was really cool because you just had all these different like visual patterns and color schemes and stuff. They were right. just awesome. They had special features and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so going back to the second, uh, the second edition tiefling, the, the original Planescape tiefling, real quick, you know they weren't all just these evil scheming, 
you know, right. demonic creatures. Right. Some of them were cheesecake art and it was great. Right. And and I, that's kind of the point I'm, I wanted to make was that they, while they looked devilish because they had horns and tails, um, they had a multitude of different personalities available and, and different kind of demeanors and, yep. and outlooks available. And that's kind of what they're trying to come back to here. Um, uh, so in some ways, this is almost a return to the kind of iconic tiefling ideal. Right. And, and I think that, especially aesthetically, they really want to get that full range back. Mm-hmm, I really right. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, the, the abyssal tiefling talking about horns for tusks, black blood, and peculiar odors, mm-hmm. uh, tying them to Carceri and um, the infinite layers of the abyss. That's great. I'm I'm a fan, um, and then it continues into the iconic um, tieflings uh, tied to Carceri. Note the overlap; I think that's rather nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Gehenna and the Great Wastes of Hades. That's uh, very cool. Um, and you know, this sort of even touches on, hey, uh, if you really want to go hard for the sort of uh, cheesecake. Or, or, or beefcake uh, mm-hmm. tiefling, Chthonic uh, is actually the place to be right. because this is where the incubus and succubus derived uh, tieflings fit best. Right. Um, also, if you want one that looks kind of undead, that's a great fit here. So there, that's a lot of range. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yes. <laughs> and then the infernal ones that are the, I now want to say classic, but that really only points back as far as fourth right to, to speak yeah. of mm-hmm. um but you know the ones that have been in fifth ed up to this point um they're tied to asheron and the nine hells um right. horn spines tails golden eyes uh great times yeah right. they're, they're great um, and so just like the ardlings and the elves which have to choose a legacy Yep. tieflings choose one of those legacies and that will give them a resistance to a damage type as well as a cantrip a, a cantrip and then two more spells and a third and a fifth level spell exactly and again they get to choose the spell casting stat right the ability that's related to their spell casting yep and they also have otherworldly presence which gives them the thaumaturgy cantrip yep uh which is just sort of a make some creepy stuff happen cantrip. Right. Right. Uh, and that's good fun. Yeah. Um, they have dark vision. And and for the Infernal Tiefling, the addition of the Firebolt Cantrip is actually the big change. Um, mm. they, they didn't previously have Firebolt. Uh, they previously only had Thaumaturgy as their cantrip. Is that so, what they only have Thaumaturgy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, so, still, so th- they still get Hellish Rebuke. So still yes. get Hellish Rebuke and Darkness. Mm-hmm. And so... Even if all you wanted was to play an Infernal Tiefling, you still get a new thing that you use sometimes. Right. So, you know, great. Um, Poison Spray could probably use a little bit of help because that short range is a real beast to deal with. But that's (laughs) not for this document. They get Ray of Sickness, so, you know. And Hold Person is straight amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, this this is a perfectly good set lock. I have no objection to anything here. I'm not surprised by direct vision. I mean, come on. They, I know. They're, yeah. they're fiends, yeah. folks. Sure. Yeah. Um, so 
we're going to move to backgrounds, but do you have any final thoughts about the the racial entries here? Uh, I mean, my final thoughts is this is all pretty strong. I, I'm pretty happy with most of this content in real terms. Um, uh, I am pretty happy with the Ardlings um, because I like Gardinals and I like Archons. I always mm-hmm. like them. I like them in Planescape in, you know, 95, 96, when I was buying the, the books of that that I bought. And now, um, a few years later in life, um, <laughs> that I'm actually expanding my collection uh, of Planescape content a lot more. Um, a few but, years. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> I mean, man, Tony Ditalisi's Planescape art, so good. I know, right? Oh, heck, it was good. <laughs> I, I, I the the recent Watsi art has been amazing. Spelljammer and Radiant Citadel are just the most gorgeous books. So I'm I'm hoping they can continue that trend line mm-hmm. straight into straight into Planescape yeah. and mm-hmm. you know I can just fall in love with Planescape art all over again. Yeah. Well that would be something fantastic, right? And I think I think that, that is a very similar thought that a lot of other Planescape fans have. Yeah. And so I, I'm thinking that they know. Oh, right? I mean, I don't think anyone has any misconceptions as to how much good Tony DiTolisi did for Planescape and Changeling the Dreaming. Um, two products that came out so close together and had such, like, such brilliant looks. Mm-hmm. But I just mean in terms of I think they realize how important the art was. Oh no, I agree with that. To Planescape, very, and very so strongly. they're gonna they're gonna carry that into the fifth edition release of Planescape. I mean, I I think that them releasing th- them in, in second edition doing the the re-release of Dark Sun without Brom was sort of oh mm-hmm. I guess that's a thing. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, it's yeah. it's just not the same. Like. That that unified style mm-hmm. was so so bold and striking at the time, right? Yep, yeah. Um, I I don't actually mean to cast shade on people who were in that re-release. It's not their fault, mm-hmm. you know. It's sure. fine. Yeah. Um, it, it's hard to beat, you know, a, an artist with uh, a really powerful vision gets to shape a whole look. Right. Um, anyway, moving along. Moving um, along. So, character backgrounds. Um, so, their idea is that you that sort of you can customize your background down to every detail as much as you want, and also that it will have stronger narrative impact. Well, so. Yes, but recognize it. It says it very specifically calls out three options. Right. It says you can build a background using the rules uh-huh. in this section, or you can select a pre made background from the samples, the kind of iconic archetype backgrounds here. Uh-huh. Or you can select one of those and then customize it. In other words, you can uh, either make something whole cloth from scratch using the rules, or you can select a pre-made one and just use that one whole cloth, or you can mix and match the two, which 
is great, but okay, how? Well, so it's really saying like you could play an acolyte with plus two strength and mm-hmm. plus one right. wisdom exactly. or, or right. whatever. Yeah. Like everything is uh, adjustable. Adjustable. Yep. All of the sample backgrounds are just suggestions of ways to align the possibilities. Right. And right. The sample backgrounds literally are here's how we would build an acolyte. But if you want to be an acolyte that has a high con, then be an acolyte with a high con. Right. No problem. Uh, and, you know, the thing is, like, if you want to play a warrior type who is an acolyte because that's part of your story, but you don't have your, your, your strength score where you want it, like, you don't not pick acolyte. You just fix your score with your ability score adjustment from background. Right. And I don't know that it's really reasonable to justify that ability score adjustment coming from your background specifically, right? Because your score doesn't actually exist in a meaningful way till the start of play. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I hear them talk about this will have greater narrative impact, and I just don't see it. Well, I, I think the idea is simply that they want the the ability score increases that you get uh-huh. to reflect actual things you did theoretically in, in your background when you were learning that stuff, actual things you did versus, Oh, it just comes from your race. It just is who you are. Boom. Right. Um, that's literally all they're doing. They're really just codifying saying, look, you can have whatever kind of background you want and backgrounds are going to come with, two ability score increases. One of them increases by two and one of them increases by one Uh or, or three that increase by one each. Sure. You're going to get two skills. You're going to get proficiency with those skills. You're going to get a tool and get tool proficiency with it. You're going to choose a language. You're going to get a feat and you're going to get 50 gold worth of equipment. And that's your background. You don't have to pick one that they created their creations are literally just examples of how they conceive of an acolyte or an artisan or a cultist or a charlatan and what that package of the ability scores, the proficiencies, the tool, the language, the feet and the equipment would be. Yeah. So I think, I guess my answer to your, to, to your statement is even though you weren't asking a question, my my answer to that or my response to that is the reason that it has more narrative impact is because the build your background literally says you can be whatever you want. So pick what you want it to be. You can name that background, whatever you want it to name. And as long as you make the decisions about your ability scores and skill proficiencies and tools and language based on these guidelines, you're going to be exactly equal, basically in power to everybody else. And so you're going to be just as valid as the next character at the table. I don't see how that makes it more memorable. Well, because before. you get to name it and you get to decide why you had strength as one of your abilities that increased. And you get to decide why you have that tool proficiency. Right? I'll that- be real with you. I don't know a single player who looks at that and says, I have an exciting idea. 
for why I have plus two strength from my background other than I just want to fix my stat. I mean, I'm not, I'm not disputing that. I'm just saying, I, I think what they're going for is this kind of gestalt idea that especially new players want to create i mean i like i hear it all the time this kind of jokey complaint about oh yeah my character came to the table you know my players came to the table and one of them had a five page backstory already right and so the idea is if the players are going to make these three to five page backstories before they've ever played in a single session why not let them write that five page backstory they're going to write anyway and now build the background out of what they said in there uh I guess uh, I'm not saying it's going to work. Right. I'm just saying, I think that's what they're going for. Yeah. I think that's the idea around yeah. that and pulling the ability score away from being a racial trait. Like, right? it, so I guess I'm looking at like books that we know are coming out that are still not designed within this play test, but haven't come out yet. Like Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. So Dragonlance has had a bunch of UA documents and you know we haven't seen what changed since the last UA document, but those backgrounds are more like this, but only more. They're not all the way like this because there's still some looks back to the 2014 model where um, you have uh, in in the case of like the the uh, Square of Salamnia background. So the Knight of Salamnia background, where you have a feat that is a makes you a square of Salamnia, but you also still have a feature where you get room and board because you're a Salamnic knight. You know, right. That that kind of social light touch feature is gone here, and I'm not saying it ever accomplished much. I'm saying that. They're risking backward compatibility with books that haven't come, haven't even come out yet, and that right, boggles so, my mind. So let me, let me I'm going to address this two ways. The first way is I've got on the screen right now the acolyte background from the player's handbook. Uh-huh. Okay, it gives you two skill proficiencies, right? Insight yep. and religion. Uh-huh. And in in the sure. in this sample background, it's the same in this playtest yep. document, right? It gives you a holy symbol. It gives you some equipment, right? Yep. Uh, it gives you. Uh, a feature shelter of the faithful. Right. Right. And that's and, that. And like I'm talking about that never came up much. Right. 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 And, and that's what, that's why I'm pointing it out. Right. Right. It's just, um, overall, I like this. I do think talking about it, having increased narrative impact is not what I see in this text. Um, I, I think that it is, at best, uh, equally easy to forget. Um, I mean, I. So so let me let me give you my second response, right? So my first response was, let's look at the acolyte, and it basically is the same, except right. they, aside know, from the feet, right? aside um, from the feet, right? Um, but uh, and and that that sort of feature thing that that we've already decided that hasn't really been put to good use in, in any right. of the backgrounds. Um, the other thing is the backgrounds also have the 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 bond flaw and right. whatever, and that stuff's all gone. That's that's that is completely gone from here. 
But here's here's the other way that I want to respond to your statement is I don't disagree with you in principle, but it's a bit unfair to say, well, the reason this isn't this doesn't work is because and the reason it can't possibly increase narrative, whatever is because we already know that there's some Dragonlance books coming out for the edition that's current, right? And they didn't use this format because no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying uh, because A then B for that. I just find that strange. Uh, my because A then B is just uh, because this text is so brief and so fungible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just going to get used to patch what you see as like, gaps in your character, and it's it's going to have as much like narrative meaning as you actually put in work to apply to it, which is not different. It's the same at best. Right. I, I'm I'm not I'm not actually disputing that. Right. I'm just trying to right. have a conversation with you about like so. The whole point of move of shifting this stuff to the backgrounds and then making the backgrounds highly variable and based on exactly what the player thinks they want their background to be. Right. I think they think, and I don't know if they're right or not. And when I say yeah. they, I mean the designers. I yeah. think that the designers think that that part of it, that versatility and the, the fact that build your background is the first option, they think everybody's going to grab onto that and do that one. And therefore, it's going to feel like it has more narrative impact than the previous, for example, Acolyte's feature of Shelter of the Faithful, because that was just this feature that was there. And all those features that and, and bonds and flaws and ideals and all that stuff, none of that stuff got used very much. So let's remove that and now allowed, allow the, the players to build exactly what they want. And who cares if they just put the, the scores in strength because they just want to you know make sure that they get a high strength for whatever reason. Because like, they need to go to tax debt, right? Right. Who cares if, if, if they want to do that, right? That's not really asking for them to have to make a reason in the background for that stat increase. It's just saying, here's an opportunity to do that if you want to. Sure. And I I... I think that's okay. That doesn't bother me, actually. I, I'm fine with it. it. My point is ultimately just finding the assertion that mm. it will increase narrative engagement. I, I find that not in evidence, right? I mean, do you, I, I do you think that it will... I don't see how they get to the assertion. Do you think that it will increase it the same amount as the ideals, bonds, and flaws? Uh, I, I think that at best, it gets to the same disuse, same level of disuse. Right. Um, well, but it can't get to the same level of disuse because you have to build your background. You have to have a background because that's where you're getting your ability scores. But it doesn't have to come together in anything that is sure. a, co- a cogent no, no, story. No narrative weight. I, I agree. It, like it, yeah. You're going to wind up with, you know, it, it just kind of I just penciled in a word. My word is whatever in my background, <laughs> as opposed yeah, to yeah. I at least had to pick a definite word as an aspect right. yeah. in the fate sense, right? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm being I, I weird about I, this. I get yeah, that I'm being weird about this. No, right? 
I'm I'm not I'm not actually arguing with you. I I get where you're coming from. I'm not sure it's going to actually have any kind of narrative real narrative impact either, right? But that's why I said I think the designers think that ra- because maybe if I should word it like this, because the ideals bonds and flaws obviously fell flat and were not used. Great idea, poor implementation, so therefore not used at the table. Um and the 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 feature the the feature that each um, background came with for for acolyte it was shelter of the faithful mm-hmm. for charlatan yep. it was uh, false identity yep. right for criminal it was criminal contact like some of those were really good and could be used very frequently and some of those were never used at all and it just sort of depended most right. mostly things didn't get used right and, so and I, writing new backgrounds became an absolute nightmare yeah right and and I think that they are they recognize that stuff didn't work yeah great idea again but for some reason did not get implemented in and this is kind of the response to that well maybe this will cause people to implement those sorts of things based on what they want i guess what i would really love to see out of backgrounds is just everything that's here right now and also something that in some way talks about how you fit into society Yeah, see, and I think I think that's the thing, though. I think that's the reason they aren't giving that, is because yeah. then it feels too restrictive. Well, uh, so so to me, like that, I fit in a society in some way at all is such a useful piece of sort of leverage against the impulse to have no connection to society and just be murder hobos Mm -hmm. because nothing has any like um, potential cost for me. Right. Right. I I have no no position in society to lose. Yeah. I don't disagree. I'm just saying like, I, I don't know. I, maybe they think that will rise organically from the background creation process. I don't, I don't know. I have have no idea. Um, that is just me caring about the fairly specific things that I care about sometimes. <laughs> we can move on past backgrounds. We don't need to discuss them individually. Um, uh, it's interesting to see what's new for for backgrounds they actually name. And uh, well, so let's let's actually name the backgrounds. Yeah. Okay. Acolyte, and um, I, I just want to name them. I want to say what language they get because that's a new thing attached to a background, and or, or for most of them, and yeah. then. A feat, right? So Acolyte gets Celestial Language and the feat Magic Initiate. Yep. Artisan gets Gnomish Language and Crafter Feat. Charlatan gets Infernal Language and Skilled Feat. Uh, Criminal gets uh, Thieves Tools. Oh, Thieves Cant as the language and the feat Alert. Cultist gets Abyssal Language and Magic Initiate Arcane. Acolyte got Divine. Uh, entertainer gets elvish language and musician farmer gets halfling language and tough okay <laughs> halfling language. okay uh, gladiator gets orc language and savage attacker is the name of the feat mm-hmm. there's that word savage again which is not that great uh, guard gets dwarvish language and alert as the feat guide gets giant language and magic initiate primal as the feat hermit gets sylvan language magic initiate primal laborer gets dwarvish language tough as the feat 
Noble gets draconic language, skilled as the feet. Pilgrim gets halfling language, healer as the feet. Sage gets elvish language and magic initiate, arcane as the feet. Sailor gets primordial language and tavern brawler as the feet. Soldier gets goblin as the language and savage attacker as the feet. Urchin gets uh, common sign language and lucky as the feet. And then they were very proud of talking about how the equipment section that you're awarded here, all of the equipment pieces add up to the same value. Yep. So no matter what background that you chose, <laughs> they all added up to the same amount. Right. Um, and, they were, they were that, really proud of that. And that only works because uh, they've made sure that all uh, musical instruments and artisans tools and uh, right. uh, ga gaming sets cost the same amount of money. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so I'm just, I, I it's just, a, it's one of those points in the video where they were so giddy about pointing this thing out right. as if, as if the majority of people complained about that particular thing, which right. is Be because as everyone knows, a deck of cards costs exactly as much as a chess set. That's, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, guys, just say you don't like economies and move on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so each of these backgrounds comes with the ability score discussion. It comes with skill proficiencies, two, two skills. It comes with a tool proficiency. It comes with a language. It comes with a feat and a, and a tiny, tiny paragraph talking about what that yep. means. And then a set of equipment that is every, every piece, every set of equipment's worth 50 gold. Um, I, I kind of love that the urchin has exactly as much gold as the noble. As if that made any sense <laughs> right, anywhere right. in the world. Well, that's why I am laughing about how proud they were that these starting sets are all worth the same. Because, you know, then are you telling me the noble and the farmer should have the same? I mean, the farmer has 23 gold. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> just just disposable cash. What yeah. farmers are known yep. for. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Um, I did find the uh, like so like here's the thing with these these back and I have not gone through the backgrounds in with a fine tooth comb and and like ripped them all apart. But let's look at this farmer real quick at, at the risk of belaboring this point. But he, here's the farmer. They get a plus two to their con and a plus one to their wisdom. Okay, that's fair. They get skill proficiencies of animal handling and nature. Okay, also fair. Mm -hmm. They get carpenter's tools. Okay, their language is halfling. They're from uh, the Shire, the Shire folk. Yep. Okay, all farmers are Shire folk. All right. Uh, and then their feet is tough. I get that. So everything except the language, right? But then here's the description. It says, you grew up close to the land. Years tending animals and cultivating the earth rewarded you with patience and good health. You have a keen appreciation for nature's bounty alongside a healthy respect for nature's wrath. Like many farmers, you made frequent use of the agricultural almanacs produced by the greatest halfling farmers. So that's why you know how to speak halfling, because that's the almanac you used, regardless of whether you're actually a halfling or not. Sure. That's fine. So, like, can you twist me into a different pretzel? Like, <laughs> I, I just feel like that is such a... Okay, so they're trying to show how you can have a short paragraph that explains yeah. every part of your background. And that's... This is what this is why I wanted to go through this because that's what they mean when they say it's going to increase the connection between your background and the narrative that you're telling. Uh, well, like the, the charlatan knowing infernal 
because the ancient language of deception is an especially weak link to me. Oh yeah, because, I'm not look. Because, I, like, look, the, the it, halfling it, thing with the halflings writing all the almanacs is super weak. That's kind of why I'm making fun of it. I, I think that's at least entertaining. It's at least, at least entertaining. It's a, at least it's a, a one of the standard languages with infernal. Like infernal <laughs> is often presented as something more like the black speech of Mordor, which I will not utter here. And <laughs> right. are you kidding? It's just, just every con man knows mm. infernal now. Right. Yeah. What is happening? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Um, it, but like, it's just sort of, it, it's all very placeholder and right. um, it's fine. I don't care. Um, it doesn't matter because just change it is right. the solution like that's not a great solution mm-hmm. it, it, some some maybe support for what a setting could really look like and what seems more likely and consistent would be great but that's not what this document's about so fine right. let's move on I, yeah I, I'm, I'm, i've beaten it way past to death I mean, Way I, past. this is one of those uh, odd times when you and I actually agree, like our agreement. <laughs> the, I think, is, beating it to death. Yeah. That's no, correct. no, no, no. We agree like 99.9% of, of your idea about this is the same. I totally agree with it. I'm just mostly playing devil's advocate because. Charlatan. I've, no, I, I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> like, I, because I feel like I'm, I'm trying to present that I'm not like the typical player, right? Sure. So maybe this is maybe it will work for a lot of people. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I'm willing to give it the benefit of the doubt at first, at least because it's the first play test. They had to do something. They're trying to show us how they're structuring backgrounds now. And so okay. But yeah, that infernal thing is really weird. So yeah, it's, it's anyway. really weird. So the next section is starting languages. Um we've already talked about this. We're set. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing I, actually I love that you. sign language is part of it, and yep, yeah, it's great. Um, Thieves. Thieves can't being a language that anyone could pick up. It's a weird one to me. Um, well, so here's the thing, right? So, like, because uh, it isn't a rare, language, it's, it's an rare, argot. though. You have to speak the the base language to speak that. That's that's what thieves can't is. It's, right, it but, isn't a language. But it's but I guess what I'm saying is it's rare. No, right? it is. So it is. But it's fine. Um, I mean, I yeah, I I, I guess well, my point is like they're not really giving us a real mechanical oomph to the word rare, right? They just say, no. you know, the standard ones are widespread and rare are more rarely known. Right. Like, well, what as, does that mean? As you know, languages actually. In real life, are ranked common, uncommon, rare, very rare, and legendary. That's that's how language is actually ranked. <laughs> sure, sure. I'll I'll agree with that. Well, so so I have, I have kids, right? And right. Uh, they learned about they learned those words from video games, mm. right? They, they learned the rarity words from right. video games, and so got very invested in the idea when they'd hear one of those words in another context <laughs> of right. trying to understand it through that lens of a video game <laughs> and just, it took a lot of explaining to get to, right. No, no, there, there doesn't, <laughs> there's not like a legendary upgrade of this. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Latin. No, just kidding. Um, 
Latin is a language as dead as it can be. Kill the ancient Romans. Now it's killing me. It's it's legendary for its killing potential. Anyway, <laughs> um, so feats. <laughs> I mean, certainly if you want someone to um, leave a desert and call it peace, that's the Romans for you. <laughs> Uh, so feats. Yeah. Um, so feats. So so feats have three uh, elements you have to define for each of them before you get to the effect of the feat, uh, which is its level prereq, you know, first or fourth or eighth are the kinds of numbers you're going to see there, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, its prerequisite. I'm not sure what level isn't filed under prerequisite, but it's not. Um, but this means do you have to have another feat specifically to take this? Um, you must meet any prerequisite specified in the feat. I assume that if a feat requires you to be a spellcaster, you know, spellcaster is going to appear here or mm-hmm. spellcaster level right. fifth plus or whatever. Right. Right. Um, I think they made the level different because the level is meet or beat. You have to meet or beat that level to take that feat. Whereas the prerequisite says if you lose the prerequisite somehow, that is, if something about you changes because of a magical effect or something, then because you you, respend your feats, you lose that feat until you re get the prereq. Whereas you're probably not going to be losing levels and then regaining them. And then, yeah. So, well, sure, but you can still safely file level under prerequisites, even if you're not going to lose it. Yeah. It is is a level prereq. You can file Mm -hmm. it as a prereq. It, yeah, I, I, I'm wondering if they're they're using this also as a, some sort of uh, indicator of power, right? A, a fifth level feat. I mean, they are for sure. Is 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 more uh, powerful than a first level feat? Yeah, they, think they said that pretty explicitly. Yeah, so. um, that you know, you could have feats required to be twentieth level. I'm not sure why you do that and then release it in an official product, but you could. Um, I mean. I've seen them do Stranger Things. The show? No, I've seen them do because <laughs> they did that too. It was a yes. It was a box set. <laughs> I've seen I've seen them do I've seen them make more odd decisions than that. Uh, so, not lately, but sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're just talking about how the charlatans can speak infernal. So I mean, all right, fair. Uh, <laughs> So then there's a note for whether or not it's repeatable. Um, The reason we don't know what prerequisites really look like is that these are all first level feats. So none of them have prerequisites. Mm -hmm. Right. That stands up. Only one of them is repeatable, uh, which is magic initiate. Uh, But there are 10 feats here and all of them go to at least one of the backgrounds that we just mentioned. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And, uh, I think one of the other really interesting things is uh, how they're now talking about them as class features without the class part. Right. They're features that could go to any class Mm -hmm. and they want to make sure that they're appealing for a a lot of possible builds. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the healer feat in 2014 PHP should be more appealing than it is especially for your life clerics, but it's kind of, but I already have spells. This isn't enough better. So just, just for, um, you know, for, for the show, let me go to the healer feet from the 2014, uh, 
So here's what it says. It says, you are an able physician, allowing you to mend wounds quickly and get your allies back in the fight. You gain the following benefits. There are two bullet points. The first one says, when you use a healer's kit to stabilize a dying creature, that creature also regains one HP. And the second bullet point says, as an action, you can spend one use of a healer's kit to tend to a creature and restore 1d6 plus 4 HP plus additional hit points equal to the creature's maximum number of hit dice. The creature can't regain hit points from this feat again until it finishes a short or long rest. That is the right. original in, the, in right. the 2014 PHB. Here is the healer feat in this playtest document. It's first level feat. There's no prerequisite. It's not repeatable. You have training and intuition to administer first aid and other care effectively, granting you the following benefits. There are two benefits. Number one, battle medic. If you have a healer's kit, you can expend one use of it and tend to a creature within five feet of you as an action. That creature can expend one of its hit dice and you then roll that die. The creature regains a number of hit points equal to the roll plus your proficiency bonus. The second benefit that you get from this uh, feat is healing, healing rerolls. Whenever you roll a die to determine the number of hit points that you restore with a spell or with this feat's battle medic benefit, you can reroll it if it rolls a one and you must use the new roll. Yep. Uh, so because it uh, affects healing spells that you cast, it's more appealing to... Your, your your clerics and druids and bards and so on than mm -hmm. previous. So that's quite nice. Um, right. And it makes it so that if you have a healing spell, you will never heal just one. You'll never roll a one on that die and be stuck with it unless yeah. you roll two ones in a row. Which, you know, going to happen every once in a while, I mean, but yeah, it's greatly course. reduced in, uh, in occurrence. Um, so, um, so is that more appealing than the healer feat in the initial one? Well, I will say that because getting people to take short rests enough of the time is uh, apparently sort of a, a hard ask, mm -hmm. frustratingly to me, um, <laughs> but we'll get to that. Um, I think the, the benefit of the healer feat gets sort of uh, sidelined. Um, it, it it certainly stays better the whole way through than uh, taking a magic initiate for cure wounds, for example. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, except that you can now keep spending uh, spell slots to keep casting cure wounds. Right. right. But you know that could be potentially a lot of spare healing in a day. Uh, if you need to keep going for a long time. I've had it work out well in games, but overall, I know the feat is not well thought of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the lucky feat also shows big changes here um, as it is sort of taking a step down from being super advantage um, where you, you could flip disadvantage to super advantage. Uh, you can't do that anymore. It's It does have some confusion for me and how it's used um so you have a number of luck points equal to your proficiency bonus um they really want these to scale mm -hmm. with, with level they really really care about these scaling with level right um and that's all you know, prolonged rest right but immediately after you roll a d20 for a d20 test you can spend one luck point to give yourself advantage on the roll 
So, so if you if you're making a test and you roll and you roll low, you can say, "Oh, I'm spending uh-huh. a luck point to uh-huh. roll again," basically. Uh-huh. But you're not barred from doing this when you have disadvantage. So, what happens if you roll with disadvantage? How does it work? Do you have to roll the dice one at a time and declare between the dice rolls because no one does that? Right. Yeah. Once the two dice are on the table, if you roll them together. You can't decide which, and then you give yourself advantage. You can't decide which one you rolled first, mm-hmm. right? And if you just get to pick either one, then it is super advantage, right? Right. Well, it's you know, advantage of two dice rather than disadvantage of two dice, but it's it, it, it's it, it's doing more than applying advantage to disadvantage is supposed to do. Is my point? Yeah. So. So the lucky feat in the 2014 PHB was you get three luck points. The description is exactly the same. You have inexplicable luck that seems to kick in just at the right moment. And it says you make an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, and you spend a point to roll an additional d20. You can choose to spend one of your luck points after you roll the die, but before the outcome is determined. You choose which of the d20s is used for the attack roll, ability check, or saving throw. You can spend one luck point when an attack roll is made against you and roll a d20 and choose whether they have to use that one. Okay, if you use more than one. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. I think they didn't mean to be vague there, mm-hmm. but I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a it's a common problem with manipulating dice mm-hmm. in really specific timing. Right. Um, they the, the, care very much about getting to a greater standardization of experience here and that mm-hmm. is a really tough thing right. if you're going to mess around with um, the exact timing of applying something in a roll with two dice because people are going to do that their way yeah i mean they could just remedy that with one sentence though right they, they could remedy it but like several of the available remedies are that I can come up with are not correct. But I'm uh, just saying, yeah, but I'm just saying that like, I am agreeing with you that it's written in a way that means it's hard to adjudicate. Right. And they could remedy that, but they didn't. Cause I think they want people's feedback on it so they can figure out how people are going to use it at the table and then say that they're going to make it the way that people use it anyway. Sure. Right. Which um, is there. That's that tail wagging the dog thing again. A little bit. Um, anyway, uh, I do want to, uh, kind of move on through these yep um i mean i don't have i don't have anything else to say about any of overall these are pretty cool the the two things i want to say something about are skilled right oh oh, sorry skilled is also repeatable uh just like magic initiate um but you're getting three skills each time so that is pretty wild Mm -hmm. um if you bought this twice you're staring down having proficiency in most of the skills in the game especially if you're a human or right. another race that gets a free scale. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's amazing. Um, but just a lot of characters benefit from from skill. That's a great feat. Right. Uh, and then Tavern Brawler is cool, and it's a, a, a little bit of a step up from um, its previous version. Um, they're trying to make it appealing to more people. Um, but so, it also is relevant that your unarmed strike is now doing a die of damage, so it's able to crit mm-hmm. 
uh, because of how critical hits have changed. Um, and then furniture as weapons is just great. It is delightful. Um, yeah, so the, the old tavern brawler actually increased your strength or con as well. And none right. of the feats in this playtest document touch the ability scores at all. Yeah, that's a good point. They, they definitely stayed away from that for these right. first level feats. Yep. I yep. believe they said in the video way. that they're going to be, you know, higher level feats are going to be able to adjust your ability Possibly, scores, but yeah, not, yeah. not first yeah. level feats. Right. And I think that's the right move. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so and so the tavern brawler, um, it's fun. I think it's fun. Yeah. Um, and shove is a little bit of the um, open hand monk mm -hmm. um, feature. It's a, it's a lesser version of that, but that's fine. It's pretty cool. People are going to want that. Um, yeah. th throwing people around a tavern is fun in games. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, right. And then, like, tough is a great feat for everybody. There's never been a character in one of few more hit points. Mm -hmm. like, I, I played a phenomenally tough ranger in Tomb of Annihilation. So hit points? Don't mind if I do. <laughs> you know what <laughs> right. I mean? Yep. Like, never goes out of style. Mm -hmm. um, so that gets us through the feats, uh, taking it fairly fast. But we want to take it fast because we have to get into the rules glossary. Right. And Well, and honestly, the feats... Um, they're pretty standard, right? Like that. I, right. Th there's nothing in there that's super duper surprising. Um, uh, crafter was a little bit of a surprise to me because they talk so much about we don't think PCs want to be crafters. Now there's a mm. fee for it. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see how that works out for them. <laughs> uh, so so it almost tries to imply there's a imply there's a cogent crafting system. There isn't probably right. going to be one. And, and that's, that's okay. That's, that's why I say. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I know that, and it's fine. Because 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 the, the the sentence when you craft an item using a tool is meaningless. Well, for now, right? for now, uh, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, it's yeah, it's it's hard to anyway. Yeah, let's move on to rules glossary. So, so rules glossary. Yeah. So um, we talked about the fact that there's arcane, divine, and primal spells. Great. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't need to cover that again. Artisans' tools. Um, I mean, it does what you think it does. There's not actually a big change here, except for the price getting standardized. Yep. Um, they're all 15. There's no change to creature types, I don't believe. Uh, um, nope, I don't think so. Th this all looks familiar. Um, so D20 test is now a parent category for um, attack rule saving throw ability check. They're tired of writing attack rule saving throw ability check. They mm -hmm. want to just write D20 test. Uh, but also they're changing... Well some stuff they want to be able to anytime they say when if there's a feat they can use the terminology when making a d20 test right. rather than saying when making ability check attack roller saying uh, yeah yeah or, that's what i'm saying or when that's saying right. oh this only works for ability checks right like that now it's it's more specific actually even though it seems like they've widened the category so well so you can still say just ability check mm -hmm. but right right but that's what i'm saying is that now it's easier to make it specific Right. It's about saving colleges yeah, yeah. and sure. yeah. developer frustration. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so um, to be warranted, a D20 test must have a target number no less than five and no greater than 30. And that's an interesting note, mm -hmm. um, but a weird one because they're actually uh, shrinking the possible ranges of DCs. Like... Previously, you absolutely could have a 
DC of 35? Uh, I don't, but I don't think they are. I think what they're saying is if the DC is 35, you can't beat it. So you're not going to make a roll. You have to find another way to overcome that challenge. Like how you can't beat it. I'm, I'm saying that's what they're defining though, that it, it, it to make a test, yeah. it has to have a target number. Right. That's just I've bad. I, but I, I'm just saying, like, I, I guess what I'm saying is my interpretation of that sentence is more strict than yours. You're saying no, no, it no. means that they're putting a cap on the upper level. And I'm saying, no, it means that it's possible. Well, so the, so the reason that it matters is uh, you can't have a target number less than five because rolling a one always fails now. And you can't have a, a target number greater than 30 because a 20 always succeeds and that is their um there's their guardrail for the absurd cases right right but that's what i'm saying though is that that's it, it they're saying you're not even going to roll if that's the case right yes uh, agreed agreed uh i'm saying that in 2014 ph and, and dmg mm-hmm. it's entirely possible to have a dc of 35 and to beat it that, that's yeah. that's that's the only point I'm making. Yeah, yeah. And what I'm saying is that they're they're because you said you said the phrase, but you can beat it. I, I was talking right? about 2014, right? And I'm saying that what they're saying is even if mathematically you could beat it, if the target number is greater than 30, if it's a 31, you yeah. don't even get to roll. Yeah, and, and that's a weird move. I get why it's there. Yeah, it's, about, I, it's about this guardrail. Yeah. But, I, I agree. I think it's yeah. odd. I'm just saying, um, like uh, the the interpretation isn't that okay. Well, now nothing is going to be higher than thirty. But you know, if you get twenty chances at something, um, then you're probably going to succeed at something with DC of thirty. If it doesn't, you know, punish you eventually. For sure. Right. Yeah, because it, and, because if you roll a twenty, it always succeeds. Right, and I think that's a bad rule. Right. I think no, I'm, I'm not disagreeing that. with you. I agree with you. I'm, I, I was more disagreeing about what the sentence between right, five right, and 30 right, right. means. Right. 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 No, no, I'm, I'm just talking about in comparison to 2014. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so rolling a one always fails and rolling a 20 always succeeds. Yep. And it's the test we're talking about. Right. So it's not just an attack roll. It's an ability check an attack roll or a saving throw. If you roll a one on any of those, it's an automatic fail. And if you roll a 20 on any of those, it's an automatic success. And you gain inspiration. And you get inspiration if you roll the 20. Yeah. Which means you can use inspiration, roll the dice. One of them is a 20. You use that one and now you get another inspiration. Yep. And I guess when it talks about if you roll a one and if you roll a 20, they're talking about it has to be the number that carries in cases of advantage and disadvantage. Right. I'm assuming, uh, yes. So that you don't get into a situation of, I had advantage, I rolled a one and a 20, what do? Right. Yeah. 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 No, it's the, it's the, it, it's, it's really if the result of your roll, right. and by result, it's the one that carries, right? right? But, it, but here they've the said if you roll a 20 on the d20, which yeah. it is actually an ambiguous wording, horribly enough. It shouldn't be, but yeah. it is a little bit. Um, Anyway, what well, I want to well, get I to, think that I think the regardless of any modifiers, if you count advantage or disadvantage as a modifier, that means you're uh, you, you're not you're ignoring those. You're only taking the roll that carries. So if you're rolling with advantage, you're only looking at the highest roll. You're ignoring the lower one. 
I guess, yeah. I mean, that's certainly the reasonable person's reading, and right. I do recommend uh, letting reasonable people have a say. Um, so what that's I actually, odd on the on the internet. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> uh, you know what? I've made weirder decisions. Yeah. Uh, so what I actually want to get to is critical hits. Yes. Because the most I'm controversial thing, and we're two hours so in. So mad. <laughs> this rule so much. Uh, but so I hate this rule. So let's tell the audience what it says exactly. This rule says that weapons and unarmed strikes only in the hands of PCs can crit uh, on a 20 on attack roll. Um, spells can't crit. Uh, unarmed strikes where you don't have a damage die, if your base damage is one, uh, can't crit. And NPCs can't crit. I dislike all of those. <laughs> I think all of those are the wrong idea. Um, and I think that I'm not proficient in punching, so so which means I don't have the tavern brawler feet. I'm not a monk. I don't have maybe a fighting style that would give me a, a D4 or D6 uh, punching die, but I'm punching in desperation. That desperation should get to feel cool. Mm-hmm. It should. Um, right. And just getting inspiration isn't enough it, because it's not. Um, spells not getting to crit um, really makes me sad. They're trying to create a greater distinction between the feel of a weapon and the feel of a spell. This just feels bad for the spell. Well, this is this is one of those where, and, and you had to watch the video to, to get this, but this is one of those where their reasoning is a, a wag the dog reasoning. Because right. the reasoning was, Jeremy Crawford pointed out that he can't even count the number of times in the past eight years since since the PHB was released that people have asked him because he is the sage's vice, you know, rules guru, right? Sure. Yeah. People ask him and and even at his table, like and he sees it, you know, people at different tables and people running games and all that. And he hears people ask the question all the time, oh, does my spell crit? Yep. And a lot of the time, apparently, the DM rules no. It, the spell doesn't isn't you know yeah. doesn't crit. So right? instead of fixing it, so right. So their 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 reasoning is because that's the way so many tables are playing. It's not, but they're going to make it the rule instead of trying to change. You know, I I get what they're going for. They're saying instead of trying to change the play culture and enforce a rule that is already a rule that nobody's paying attention to. We're instead going to change the rules to match what the people are doing. Right. But the choice is boring. It is boring. <laughs> right. Because when the 20 comes up on the die, people should be excited yeah, or scared, depending on whether the die is being rolled mm. in their favor or against them. That moment is D and D. Right. I saw Stranger Things season four. That moment needs to be enshrined. It needs to work. I didn't that, see that is, things. So well, um, you should. The show's amazing. <laughs> um, yes, um, but I. So here's the thing, right? Um, yes, I agree with you. But well, I'm not. I'm not done with the problems okay. with this. With this rule, I, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, also, any other damage adds on uh, on your attack. That are their dice, such as sneak attack or smiting or whatever, are apparently not also increased by your crit. 
they're just it's just your weapon damage die again that's boring your crit is an average of three to seven damage mm-hmm. cool that that is not impressive when the rest of your dice expression has become something cool at a high level right th- th- this is a boring choice um npcs not being able to crit is also a boring choice and there's a huge explanation in the video of the rationale i find the ra- i find that rationale completely unpersuasive so the rationale for creatures was twofold he said number one when when even a low cr creature crits and it's against a low-level PC, that could be really scary and bad because it could kill the PC, and they don't want that moment to happen. So they want to take away crits, the crit ability from you know, from a low-level creature, low-CR creature. A, a creature that the low-level party would meet is not going to be able to crit, is the idea here. And secondly, at high levels, because they don't want to suddenly have monsters start critting at high levels when they couldn't crit at low at, at, or half CR when they couldn't crit at low CR. What they're doing is they are shifting those types of abilities into the recharge mechanic and giving that creature a way to do critical like critical style types of damage, but with a recharge effect. So it may or may not recharge and get used more than once, just like a crit may or may not happen. Which means the monster is obligated to open combat with it, and then maybe it shows up again. Right. But I, I'm not saying it's but, a good choice. I'm just right. saying for the audience who who, who right. maybe didn't watch that video, because again, right. it doesn't say in here you definitely should watch this video to hear all the reasoning behind this stuff. It just says here's the playtest document. Play with it and tell us what you think. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasoning in that video that puts a lot of context onto what is actually happening in this 21-page document. Right. And and we've referenced it heavily. Right. I do recommend that anyone interested in this listen to that. I'll also. put a link in the show notes. That's a that's a solid idea. Yeah. Um, just, I think every part of these two paragraphs is a boring choice, and yeah. they should not do that. I think that crits being exciting and changing the course of a fight is great, um, and fights being more predictable is a bad goal. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel about that. Uh, I, mean, I think I think that unexpected things should be able to happen, and the the numbers don't need to be more predictable. And you shouldn't just be able to kind of comfortably math it out without even thinking real hard, and just sort of say, "Well, it's going to cost us about this many hit points. I guess we're good." Can we fast forward to the end, please? Which is what they're offering. Uh, obviously, we haven't seen any of the class abilities yet. We don't know what those look like. We don't know if there'd be new monster abilities or what they look like. Right. Um, we only have what's in this document and what has come before to go on and what they've said. And what they've said doesn't match up with what's in this document, what's come before. So that's how that is. Um, yeah. So Divine spells, gaming sets, those things are fine. Uh, grappled is um, kind of okay as um, a 
a condition. Um, they had to add in the, the slowed condition here to explain. Uh, the, the slowed condition appears in this document so that grappled makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so number one, yeah, okay, your speed goes to zero, whatever, that's fine. That was true uh-huh. before. Yeah. Uh, second, if you are grappled, you have disadvantage to attack anyone else other than who is grappling you. Yes, correct. Um, and then I like that part because then it's incentive for you to like focus on the thing grabbing you, right? Uh-huh. Uh, it, it actually now codifies moving while you're grappled. Okay, fine. But then the escape, you make a dexterity or strength saving throw against their grappler's escape DC at the end of each of your turns. Mm, I don't right? like that. I think that's bad. Why? Because it's free. It is a free attempt to end a grapple. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But what it, what it does is it frees up your action during the turn uh-huh. so that you can attack the thing that's grabbing you. Yeah. And then at the end of your turn, you get to try to escape. So it's yeah. like giving you an extra action. Yeah. Yeah. It is like giving yeah. you an extra action. So it's, is it, it is, is a huge weakening of the idea of grappling. Right. And I think they did that on purpose. I think they gra- shouldn't have done it. Grappling's a pain in the ass. No, it's not. <laughs> grappling has never been less of a pain in the ass. I, I, I'm just, I'm saying, I'm saying, I think this is the feedback they got. And that's why they changed it. People can be wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I'm saying that they they changed it on purpose because I think people complained that you couldn't try to escape your grapple without using an action. Oh. And if you escape, you tried to escape your grapple, then you can't attack that creature that was grappling you. There's and just if no. You f- if you fail at escaping your grapple, it's like a wasted turn. That's, I think, what they're responding to, right? Because it sucks to be in a combat and not get to do anything other than make one roll. And if you fail, well, okay, I'm still grappled. I'm still just stuck here. Nothing I can do about it. Try to take down the person who's grappling you. The, the great thing about grappled in 5e is that you can keep attacking the person, I know. person grappling you and try to incapacitate them. Right, but if you have no chance of incapacitating them because you're not normally a melee combatant, yeah, yeah, that that means it's a tactical consideration. Right. No, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying I'm trying to dig into the reasons why I think they made this change. Like, yeah, I don't like it. I think that um, it just greatly increases the chance that the person doing the grappling wasted their turn. It just doesn't matter for the monsters who don't spend their turn to do it. You shifted the wasted turn from the person who was grappled to now the person who's grappling. Yeah, that's yeah. bad. That that's actually a problem. I'm I'm not. Yeah, I don't really. I really don't care about this change because um, grappling has oh. hardly been a thing in my five E. Uh, well, it's gonna become even more of a thing when we get to unarmed strike a little bit in another few minutes well yeah so and that's that's the thing though is that this because this affects other things right i'm i'm just saying they changed it because i think they want it to to work with things like tavern brawler and an arm strike and all that kind of stuff and i don't know if it's going to work yeah so 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 right uh, so so with escape like you can always choose to shove them mm-hmm. which gets which gets them outside of the grapple's range. Can it, you choose? Can you shove them though? Yeah, 
because you can make an unarmed strike against them. Mm. You can either uh, you either push the target five feet away or knock the target prone. Pushing the target five feet away is going to get you out of their reach for most grapplers. It's the push them five feet away part that makes it relevant. Obviously, if they have increased reach, then then you, they won't let go. Maybe yeah. that doesn't do it for you. Hmm. I'm. But I don't know. Maybe that doesn't work because uh, you forcing them to move just lets them drag or carry you. Well, that's what I was. Slowed. That's what I was wondering is that they could just keep keep a hold of you. Yeah. Unclear. Um, the interesting about about slowed is that attack rolls against you have advantage if you're yeah. slowed. Yeah. So that's bad for the grappler, for the attacker. Right. It doesn't slow the grappled person. Right. Well, the, just, the grappled person has a speed of zero and can't change it. But they're not slowed. But they're not slowed, whereas the grappler is slowed. And thus uh, has disadvantage on deck saves and... Uh, and, uh, and attack rolls against it have advantage. And so if shove is an attack roll. But it's not clear when you would lose the like. Do you only have the slowed condition while moving? But so so it's while moving, uh, which if they're trying to make rules interactions clearer, that failed. That just yeah, is not I, clearer. I think the uh, the unarmed strike slowed and grapple so, uh, interaction here is is a little muddied. Right. Yeah. So, so really, what happens is opportunity attacks against you. Really, the only kind of attack you're going to take while you're moving. Um, well, wait, as the grappler, you mean? As the grappler, you're you're going to be taking opportunity attacks because you only you really only move on your own turn. Right. Right. And so it's really only about opportunity attacks because you lose the slowed condition as soon as you stop moving. Right. Uh. That's what it says. Because of the while moving clause under movable, the the, the movable uh, bullet within grappled. So movable says the grappler can drag or carry you, but the grappler suffers the slowed condition while moving. I, I was looking for because you said while moving, and I was like, I'm looking for that in the slowed condition. Yeah, yeah, it's no. not there. So okay, um, yeah. So but here's the thing, right? And then forced movement does not provoke. Uh, no, forced movement does not provoke. The the one doing the grappling is provoking by carrying you off with them. Right, but what I'm saying is, let's say they didn't carry you; instead, you shoved them. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, they are. They, uh, are they slowed while you're shoving them? The uh, unclear because they're trying to hold on to you, right? Yeah. And do they drop you if your shove attack is a success? Unclear. Right, and that's why I'm, I'm saying say, like, the three the three like interactions between these three yeah. items sucks. Like yeah. in terms of its clarity D- here. So it's clarity. Yeah, it's bad. Um, yeah, I, I'm not even sure what the intent is because man, that gets really hinky. All right. I mean, I yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm like yeah, this is. Um, but do you do you like unarmed strike? Oh no, no no. Uh, the, the rules for grapple are terrible. It, the grapple within unarmed strike, targeting AC, no, get out. That's bad. It says, on a hit, your unarmed strike causes one of the following effects. That's a hit against AC, right? So, so that hit against AC. Yeah. So I, what was it? They Didn't they say, what, what is it? So in in regular 2014 players It's a handbook, contested strength it's a athletics contested check. contested check. 
or you can contest it with dex acrobatics as the defender only. And they've basically made it a pure attack roll. Yes. And it means that, you know, uh, you just need to stack AC and that's it. I guess we're good. You can have Uh, a really high dex and a low AC, relatively speaking, and suck. Yeah. Or you can um, wear plate armor and be hard to grab. Right. As if that makes sense. It's just bad narrative. Um, But, you know, carrying a shield absolutely does not make you harder to grab, folks. Um, it, it is something big and easily grabbable. Um, I don't know. I I think that also getting all that, like all that arm strike stuff, is just a mess. I I anyway, the thing I want to talk about disliking about that is mainly in um, grapples targeting AC. I, I think that's uncool. They they want to get rid of contested checks. You notice that contested checks aren't even uh, mentioned as a possibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they shouldn't do that. There are so many situations where a contested check is the only thing that makes any sense. Um, they need to understand that while the community has occasional problems with it, it is a really, really, really useful tool in mm-hmm. the DM's toolbox for emergent situations that the rules don't anticipate. Right. Don't make that harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, see, Castles and Crusades has no contested checks. But that's because the underlying way that you determine the DC, you don't need to have a contested check. So any of those elements that would create a contested check situation, possibly in 5th edition, there's a way to handle that in Castles and Crusades, for example, that sidesteps the contested check altogether. There There just literally is no contested check. You always only use a DC. Sure. target and but but the way to determine it is very specific and easy to understand it's sure. not a it's not a vague question oh well, what, what do i use what do i do what do i what's happening right um but in fifth edition that's not true <laughs> well yep. at least in the 2014 player's handbook yep. that's not true hmm. yeah anyway, interesting anyway let's see if we can burn through the rest of this we're getting pretty close i mean there's only one thing left spell list <laughs> uh well we haven't finished all the um, stuff in the oh, I guess rules yeah, glossary. I, guess I, I, um, I went through and <laughs> and skipped a bunch of stuff to get down to unarmed. Oh sure. Um, um, incapacitated gains the the fact of imposing disadvantage on uh, initiative if you're surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really specific thing, and it's mostly about being woken up if your camp is attacked in the middle of the night. Right. Yeah. As far as I know, as far as I'm aware, it's kind of cool. Um, also, you can't speak. Um, your concentration is broken. Those aren't new. Nothing new. Yeah. That's... But, um, but yeah. So inspiration, they're they're trying to get people to use inspiration by greatly increasing the supply, mm-hmm. hugely increasing the supply. Right. But you can still only have one, so you need to dump it as fast as possible, just in case you get another one. Right. But if you um, if you have one already and you do something that earns one, you can immediately give it to someone else. Right. Um, but you still want to dump it pretty quick. And they're, right. they're trying to push a spend economy rather than a save economy. Right. I am one of those gamers who will just not spend stuff. Yeah. That's, that's me. Um, um, and so that you can they, they then change the language to D20 test because they're trying to do that. Right. So yep. you can use your inspiration to give yourself advantage on any D20 test, but you have to say so before you roll, which 
you know, okay. <laughs> I know lots of tables that, so this is where that, why didn't they instigate a, a, a wag the dog thing here where you can just decide after you roll. Right. Because I know so many tables do that. And so if they're going to use the rule of, well, we're going with a lot of, you know, what what most of the players are saying they do. Well, I I mean, I know a ton of streams who have people donate money to give people inspiration that they can then use after the person rolled poorly. Right. Like, but like, especially with inspiration, the problem is that you think of it. Once you have failed, that is the thought process mm-hmm. of, I need mm-hmm. something that will save me from this failure. Right, right. Nope, right. I have nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's already too late. That right. feels bad every mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and then you lose inspiration if you still have it when you start a long rest. Yeah. That's a terrible rule. That's so that you can't stockpile it. You can't stockpile it anyway. You can only have one. Right. But I'm just saying, like, the reason they do that is, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're just making it clear because but, human, but, humans get one after right. finishing a long rest. But but only humans are morning people. <laughs> right. Friggin' morning people. Well, I mean, the elves aren't sleeping. They're just trancing. So it's okay. <laughs> but anyway. They still start long rests. Yes. Yes. Um, so a long rest is a period of extended downtime, uh, at least eight hours long, unless you're an elf, um, in which you. Sleep for at least six hours and perform no more than two hours of light activity. Um, the the benefits of a long rest are the same, um, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, you get all your lost hit points. You get your spent hit dice half of your total, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Which is the same. And, and, then, and then, if the long rest is interrupted by combat or by one hour of walking, casting spells, or similar activity. Uh, the rest confers no benefit, must be restarted. However, if the rest was uh, at least one hour long before the interruption, the creature gains the benefit of a short rest. Right. That is a nice catch yep. there right. to make sure you still get something. Yep. And it's also the only reassurance in the whole document that, that short, rest short still rest in the game. still exists. Right, exactly. That was a question in one of the Discord uh, discussions. No doubt. I, I pointed no. out, yes, the... It says a short rest is there. It uses caps. It is the thing. It's a rules yep. text. So, yeah. Um, it's a musical instrument. No no uh, surprise no, nothing there. Nothing significant there. Um, we already talked about slowed uh, extensively. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting to see it as a new condition. It probably always should have been in the game. I'll just go ahead and say. Yeah. Um, like, it was a nice condition to have in fourth ed. I, I miss it. Whether or not this is too much, who knows? But right. slowed should exist, is what yeah. I'm saying. Uh, tool proficiency is a big change. Um, so now you can be making a um, proficiency bonus. Um, you'd be making a check that's just about the tool and you add your proficiency bonus. Or um, you can be making a check with a skill that uses the tool. If you're proficient in the skill and the tool, and you use them together, mm-hmm. then you gain advantage. It's not clear what any of that actually means in play yet, because we don't know what the use cases are where that would happen. Right. Like, it isn't yet clear how you open a lock. This well, document doesn't store that. So how how did Xanathar's change tool use? Uh, Xanathar's, ch- oh boy. Because uh, I've already been doing this. I well, already let my players if they if they have a skill uh-huh. 
and they're going to apply it to a, a check. And they also have a set of tools that they're proficient with uh-huh. that would apply to that check. I give them advantage. Okay. Well, it so is I'm just, I'm wondering if I got that. I, I can't remember what Xanathar's uh, says. Or if I just okay. house, house. If, if the that. use of a tool and the use of a skill both apply to a check and the character that proficient is proficient with the tool and the skill, consider allowing. Yeah. Consider is yep. operative here to me. Mm-hmm. Allowing the character to make the check with advantage. Um, yeah. That's Xanathar's chapter two. Yeah. I'm looking at it on page 78 in my hardback book. Yeah. So, so that's where I got it. So that is something I chose to do. It says consider it. I did consider it and I thought it was a good idea. Uh, that's uh, fair. Um, yeah. I'm just interested to see what that winds up meaning, whether mm-hmm. the way you, for example, open locks or uh, disarm traps, the two main uses of tools in all of D&D. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, forevermore. Forevermore. Yeah. You know, as it was in the beginning. Right. Is so now shall never be. shall be. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, amen. Um, <laughs> it is, it's about you know, breaking and entering. Right. I mean, God bless it, right? <laughs> Everybody loves a good B and E. Um and so we don't know if B and E has changed as an art form. And right. so we can't really say if now uh housebreakers just always have advantage or right. not. We'll see. Or if they have to have the tool and they have to be proficient in either the tool or the skill, but either way, they still only make the check normal. Right. right, but like we don't but, know what kind of strictures, in other words, there will be on right. the picking, or, or maybe it's only a tool check, right. which is what it is right now for the most right. part. Exactly. Um, anyway, so anyway, yeah. So, so tremor sense is in player hands. Um, mm-hmm. and that's kind of new. That's why it's here. Right. Uh, I don't think it's significantly changed from its prior form. Just it wasn't really player facing. It right. was stored in the monster manual. Yep. Uh, and unarmed strike we already talked about at great length. Um, the base damage isn't changed; it's still one plus your strength modifier. That's rough. Um, and then um, I think the important thing there is the grapple interaction. Uh, and yeah, right. Well, well, and, well, and not, also you know. also shove targets AC. Right, right. Because of the same reasoning. And then we get to spell lists. And it tells us that they are now splitting everything. Instead of splitting them into class lists, like here's the cleric spell list and the wizard spell list and the sorcerer spell list, they're splitting them into three main spell lists, arcane, divine, and primal. Yep. And they tell us that in future UA articles, they're going to show us how the different classes use these lists. Yep. Uh, and then how you might gain spells from another list. Uh, and then uh, it says the lists here, because there's only one ex- one more page after this, it says the lists here go through first level to support some of the races and feats in this document. The lists currently include spells only from the 2014 Player's Handbook. So uh, they made it short and sweet, and they provide us with the cantrips and first level spells in all three of those categories. And, and the sort of lingering, glaring questions that this raises are, where is Eldritch Blast? Uh <laughs> Does my wizard get hex? How does a bard get cure wounds? Those are just a few a few key questions that you might be asking yourself as mm-hmm. a uh, an ordinary user. And 
looking the, at this. I'm suspecting that the next play test is going to have some class information in it because I'd expect so. Yeah, that is what we need to have in order to be able to answer those questions that you are asking. It depends. Um, but do you have final thoughts? Um, a lot of what I wanted to say, I've already gotten out. Um, I strongly encourage everyone to uh, go do the surveys when they come out on the 1st of September. Mm -hmm. um, I think that contextualizing this as much as possible is just good practice for, you know, making your, your feedback useful. Um, there isn't really a way to play test this yet other than doing some pre-class level character creation, mm -hmm. right? Which you can do. That's, that's still play, but you know, it isn't practical play rubber meets the road kind of stuff. Um, so that's fine. Um, I'm hoping we're going to be able to you know, keep up with uh, edition wars covering each packet as it comes out. It's going to mean some late nights, but also more chances to talk to my buddy. So I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I am hoping that we can, you know, attack each of these as they come out and, and do a one or two episode, you know, arc for, for each of these, because I feel like it's very interesting. Also, then we get to go back when they do come out with the finalized 2024 players handbook and we get to say, okay, at what point did this play test you know, what part of this did they keep and what did they get rid of? And mm -hmm. what did we predict or what did we like that they kept or dislike that they kept or they got rid of? And, you know, that sort of thing, which I think is very interesting. And just as a game design exercise, right, it's interesting to look at the nitty gritty details. And, you know, there's sort of two levels that we talk about this and that we think about this. There's the idea of context and you know, what's important in terms of language and wording and stuff like that. And then there's the actual mechanics of the game and how they interact with the other mechanics of the game. And unfortunately, I think my take home or my final thought on this is we don't have enough yet to yeah. see a lot of these elements actually in action. It's almost not play testable in some of these aspects, even though some of this stuff is in the play test. Right. And they're going to get a lot of feedback that, they're going to dismiss rightly or wrongly. Oh, right. Sure. Like they're going to get absolutely shellacked on crits. Right. And yeah, they are. Maybe it's already, we're wrong. The, inter maybe, the internet is already like exploding with it. Yeah. Like maybe we're wrong. Maybe they've got it all solved in a way that we can't see, but we can't see it. Right. And yeah. so I, I almost feel like were you sending up this trial balloon because you wanted it to get destroyed? Because that's all we can do. Right. right. If there are class features that increase the effect of crits, we have no reason to even suspect that at this point. Right. Because right. there are only a tiny number of class features in all of 2014 and books since mm -hmm. that even resemble that. It's right. the champion and the barbarian. And not much else. And the assassin, I guess. And we don't know what what the class changes are going to be and what what classes are going to implement right. well, any oh, of that. And also, right? 
there can't be backward compatibility with a grave cleric uh, mm. for this yeah. because if NPCs can't crit, then gra grave clerics have no feature. Right. At one level, so that's not great. Right. Um, but crits are exciting. Let them be exciting. That's how I feel about that. Um, and trying to like separate weapons from spells. This isn't the right way to do it. Um, because if the spellcaster rolls a 20, then it's disappointing if all they get is inspiration. Yeah. When for a warrior type, it's something exciting. I mean, I, I guess for me, like I'm trying to figure out why this change was made. I mean, other than their their BS, like, oh, well, this is what people were doing anyway. Like, I, I reject that as a real reason, okay? Um, as much as, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not saying they're lying. I'm just saying, like, it, it's, a, it's a misguided reason, okay? Yeah. So I reject it as, as a reason. Um, but I, I'm wondering if if this is partly in response to, oh, well, you know, purely martial characters don't really have any major things that they can do. Right. And and that therefore there's a focus on causing everyone. I mean, this is actually a complaint I have expressed probably on this podcast, right? That fifth edition is magic, magic everywhere. And the reason it is, is because magic is so easy to get for every single class and it's so powerful that you would be crazy to not take it because everything else pales in comparison and magic becomes the answer to every challenge. And that for me personally bugs me. That's not the direction I want to go with my game, but I understand why they did it. And I think slinging magic around and doing really fancy magic stuff, it's really fun. So I totally get it. I'm not, I'm not like lambasting that as a whatever it's the decision they made. And that's great. So my question is, are they killing the crits for, for magic slinging because they think that's going to have some modicum of difference for the perceived power level of a martial only class. Fine question. I think we'll have to wait until we get the next play test that has classes or whichever one has classes in it. Yeah. Because that's, what's going to tell us like, does that, do the classes have uh, feet choices that are going to allow them to double and triple their crit damage? Right. And, and stuff like that. And that's, what's going to bring those martial classes up to the level of a, of a, of a caster. Right. And that's why they basically nerfed the ability of a caster to do any kind of crit at all. And they're really pushing up and bolstering the ability for a marshal to do a crit. But again, I, I, I agree with your assessment that, yeah, but rolling that damn 20 and cheering is great fun. And right. When well, you all you get for it is an inspiration and you already had one, so you just gotta give it away right now. That's that's right. a anticlimactic as all hell. Well, also if I mean you're gonna sometimes be in solo scenes and that's gonna like mm -hmm. cool, the inspiration goes to someone who didn't even see that happen. That's make that makes that's right. even less yep. sensible. But right. like once you get to cool, I'm a martial character and I, I created with a weapon and it did three extra damage and it was but, like, that was all I could hope for out of that crit. No right, amount of that, my other cool stuff even helped. Right. But that's what I'm saying is that may, that's why I'm saying we have to wait because maybe yeah. if that's the direction right. they're going, cause I totally agree with you. It's a three extra damage will BFD like, pff, right. So what? Right. And, but, and you know, that's a problem for fighters as is. 
that 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 they don't have a lot of additional adds on their weapons. Right. So maybe they get they'll get second second third and fourth level feats that allow them to add to their ability to crit. So maybe they right. get expanded crit and they get extra damage. They get, you know, whatever, like could happen. It could happen. And, but at the same time, right. They're still nerfing yeah. that wizard's ability to crit or the sorcerer's ability to crit or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, yep. I, yeah, I, 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 I agree with bolstering the marshals, right. But I also agree that just rolling a 20 and having it be anticlimactic is okay. Well, then there just might as well not be any critical system here. Right. Yep. So anyway, well, I think that might round us out the long episode. Thank you audience for sticking with us or for chunking us up into parts and watching <laughs> half and half and half, <laughs> whatever, whatever you need to do or listening half and half and half, whatever you need to do to take it all in is fine with us. Um, I am not as gleeful about being chunked up into parts. Any but legs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Brandis, sir, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard. I write for tribality.com where uh, around the time this comes out, I will have also released a text version of most of what I had to say here <laughs> in my typical UA breakdown. Right. Um, my personal blog is brandisstoddard.com and I have a Patreon that is Brandis Stoddard. How about you, Sam? You can find me on rpgmusings.com and on uh, The Tome Show and on Twitter at DM Samuel. And uh, you can look at my YouTube videos on uh, RPG Musings. And I think that's going to take us out. 